around Mavis. <laughs> but it's, the sooner we finish this, sooner I can use the bathroom. <laughs> Alright, cool. Go now. Go now. Right. Don't don't to All right. Hello and welcome to 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDB's top 250 movies of all time. And this week we've got a very special podcast happening for you. We've got our anniversary podcast in which we invite as many of our guests as humanly possible to join us for a discussion of the week in or the year uh, in film. So taking a very quick walk around this very large table. And joining us, we've actually got some of our international guests on the line. So we've got the wonderful Andy Hazel. Hey, Darren. And joining us, uh, we have the wonderful Tony Black. How are you, Tony? I'm very well, Darren. It's a pleasure to be back on the 250. Uh, and for the anniversary special on as well. And we also have Carl Sweeney. How are you, Carl? How are things? I'm really good, thanks, Darren. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. We have Brian. How are you, Brian? Hello. Maybe you need to be a little bit louder, Brian. A little bit louder. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know the sensitivity of the mic. Sorry. And Alex. Hello. My co-host, Andrew. Hello, Darren. Hello. That's the right level. <laughs> Bernie's, Dr. Bernie Murphy. Hello. Okay. Jess. Hi. Well. How are you? Luke Dunn. Hello. Phil Bagnall. Howdy. Richard Drum. Hello. Niall Ben. Hello. Chris Lavery. Howdy. Jay Coyle. Hello. Ronan Doyle. Hello. Grace Duffy. Hello. Babu Patel. Hello. Giovanna Rampazzo. Hello. And Joe Griffin. On shot. <laughs> How did you remember all those names? Yeah. I, you know them, you love them. They need no introduction. <laughs> that was the key. All the stars are here tonight. Um, so yeah, what we do is we're kind of going to skew the usual format. We're just going to have a talk about the year in film that's been. So we're going to ask four questions, and we've got uh, we've actually got some guests from abroad who have answered these questions in advance. All right. So to start the discussion off, we ask four questions as a springboard into discussion. So the first one uh, we ask, the same one we ask every year, which is, of the new entries on the IMDb's Top 250 this year, including Bohemian Rhapsody, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Roma, Adad Hun, Green Book, Alia, Daughter of War, Neon Genesis Evangelion, Yuri, The Surgical Strike, Avengers Endgame, Toy Story 4, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Capernaum, Parasite, the second Drisham movie, and Joker, which of those do you think is most deserving of its place on the IMDb's Top 250 movies? Of all time. Sure. Okay. Well, it was. It's like a pretty. Um. It's a difficult list from which to choose. Um. Because I found because the film I'm actually going to select actually I think of as a 2018 film, which is Capernaum, Nadine Lebecki's film, because it's a very close call between that and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Because I feel like both of these films really, really speak to what's happening now. Because Capernaum is all about chaos. It's about being led through the crazy city of Beirut as a child. You know, with this completely uncertain future, and it's kind of very emotionally driven. Uh, I really, really loved the eye that Nadine Lebecki had for this just insanity of the city and the th- slender thread by which humanity is being led through in the form of this uh, little kid, uh, Zane, 12-year-old boy. Um, I, I think you guys did a really great uh, episode about this already, from memory. We did indeed with the, the wonderful uh, Jay and Ronan, who are actually both here. I believe the phrase, I would die for Jonas, I would kill for Jonas, <laughs> was uttered um, in discussion of that <laughs> yes. particular movie. Would you kill for Jonas? Would you die for Jonas, Andy? Ooh. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like he might have more to offer <laughs> to the world than I do um, after seeing, getting to know him so well. Yeah, um, yeah, it's an, it's an amazing film. But also I felt like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood spoke to 2019 just as much as Capernaum did. You know, the death of the cinema industry, the, the fading movie stars, picking the last, two of the last movie stars on earth to play dying movie stars at the end of the, the um, old golden age of Hollywood and the end of the TV era yeah. in Tarantino's film. Yeah, because, I mean, even the Hollywood Reporter profile piece on DiCaprio was the last movie star, I believe. Yeah, I would argue. You know, I think there's Tom Cruise and a few other people around, but pretty much, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, they're both, I think, really powerful, really interesting films, very, very different, but they're pretty much my inseparable new entries, I think, for this IMDb list. All right, so, Tony. I can't see beyond for this, for me, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, personally. Because uh, I, I think it's one of his best films. And obviously, he has done uh, an absolute array of great movies. And yeah, he's obviously a divisive filmmaker, but I think most people would agree that they've they think at least one thing he's done is getting on for a masterpiece, if not over the years. Uh, I don't know if this is quite a masterpiece, but I definitely think it's fantastic. And I've seen it twice now. I can't wait to see it again. And I've just fallen completely in love with it. You know, it's it's the film he's done the most when it in terms of how he views cinema, how much he loves cinema. It's one of his warmest. It might be his warmest movie, his sweetest movie, one of his funniest movies. Yeah, Yeah. and obviously, you know, he does what uh, he did with Inglorious Bastards, and he completely throws it up in the air and uh, decides on on the Tarantino version of history. But I think there is. It's one of those films that it was like taking a nice bath. You know, the second time round, especially when I knew where it was going, I just enjoyed living in it in that world. And he also has like an absolutely rocking soundtrack yeah. as well. And he always he always does great soundtracks, but this one particularly, I've just had on rotation for like the last two or three months. So, yeah, I uh, it's my film of the year. Unless you know we get uh, an absolute classic out the bag in the next couple of months, this is this is my favourite. Perfect. And Carl, your favourite of the new entries this year. Yes, well, with the caveat that I haven't yet seen uh, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, which I'm really looking forward to, but of all but also you... hasn't made the list. Ah, which might or might not make the list. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, um, of all the new entries, the film I thought about the most is Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. So, um... which makes us three for three, actually. So of, of the so we've gone three three people around the table so far. Andy put a joint in with Caper Nam. Uh, Tony. Obviously just named it. And now yeah. we've got you going in there as well. So three for three. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. I mean, I've always felt that discussions that you hear about Tarantino being self-indulgent, and especially it's supplied to the films he made um, after his editor, Sally Menke, died. I've always felt that was a bit unfair. And having said that, I felt The Hateful Eight was a bit overlong, and I didn't feel that film was up there with Tarantino's finest work. So when I saw this film uh, come out, and some some people were bemoaning the length of it and so on, I was kind of unsure, but I just found the cocktail it served up completely intoxicating. And um, I think Robbie Collin in in The Telegraph articulated something really well that I felt while watching this film, I couldn't quite put my finger on. It's that this is a film that generates this weird kind of underlying tension from the fact that you're watching all these people who are kind of luxuriating in the time they, they have. You know, they're going to the cinema to see themselves on screen, in the case of Sharon Tate, or they're driving around L.A., or they're getting into fights, you know, when they've got these this downtime at the studio and things like that. But all the while, unbeknownst to them, they're actually running out of time, aren't they? Because Hollywood's on the cusp of change, the Manson murders are about to happen. So I was not only happy to spend a lot of time with these characters he created, but I really enjoyed the digressions. I almost didn't, you know, I almost wanted these characters to stay frozen in time. I didn't want the narrative to kind of advance towards to the dreadful that events point, yeah. that were surely around the corner. But what I was pleased by is that when it did get to that point, I felt that of all the ways Tarantino could have done it, I felt he took uh, a path that wasn't exploitative um, in the way that I feared it perhaps might have been when I heard he was going to do this uh, alternate history thing, you know. So, yeah, I was very pleased with that. And Brian? 
Uh, once upon a time in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> making a consensus. Making for making for consensus. Yeah, absolutely. I think once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, I'm surprised Ad Astra didn't make it into the 250 though. I'm gonna beat the drum for Ad Astra today. Oh, so. there, there may be, yeah. there may not be the first person to do yeah, that. Yeah, good, good. I am gonna beat the drum for Ad Astra. Okay. But yeah, once upon a time in Hollywood, 100. percent Perfect. Should be in there. Alex, your favorite new entry from this year. Um, for me. I'm kind of somewhere between a Scorsese and a Coppola and being sick of superhero films. So um kind of how, surprised how you know, by... On the sort of Roger Corman scale. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why I'm surprised to say it's actually Spider-Man, which I kind of went along to and, and fully thought like, oh, this will be a bit of fun. And then was like, no, wait, this is incredible. This is sort of highlighting the failings of every other superhero film I've had to sit through for the last five or six years. It's so funny, it's so light, it gets the balance just right. And particularly in like the focus on, it's a comic book, it's fun, it jumps yeah. around. One moment it's really funny, one moment it's self-referential, next moment it's actually doing something I haven't seen done in anything else. That's why it's incredible. And I, I really do, I was shocked by how sort of surprisingly good it was, you know, and especially with like two other Spider-Man films coming out. Like at the yeah, side sandwiched between two exactly. Spider-Man movies and two Avengers movies starring Spider-Man. So, you know, part of me was sort of like delighted when, when they started announcing that the, the Marvel, do, you know, um, Sony breakdown. Oh, and I was like, aha, take that, nerds. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, Sp <laughs> Spider-Verse. <laughs> so I'm going to have to say, yeah, Spider-Verse, was, was, of that list you read, was, um, was probably my pick. Spider-Pig. <laughs> Spider-Ham. Spider-Ham, damn it. <laughs> he, he's a spider that was bitten by a radioactive pig, which is my favorite detail. enough impression of yeah. Yeah. Did anybody see that behind-the-scenes footage of Cage when he was actually recording his lines? Yes. And he was getting into it, like, that's just, oh, my God, that made my heart swell. Like, I loved it. Like, I kind of like that we've had a miniature cage assance with, like, yeah. Mandy and Mom and Dad and Into the Spider-Verse. I like the story that he was recording, and then they said, can you do it a little bit more, like, heightened? And he sort of said, oh, I... You want me to go full Cage then? <laughs> <laughs> he actually has a process. Um, Cage has a process. Yeah, we should put it in. We should, in some future episode, we'll probably bring it up. I suspect. Yeah, we may. We um, may. And Bernice, of the films that have made the list this year, Was which prepared? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to go in first. No, no, I'm. I, we... We're going to save that for the solo bolo. Yeah. Every somebody... now and then, we get together just. You and I. Yes. Uh, and record in the privacy of our own bedroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that a song from The Spider Shagney? Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> for, for context. Yeah, yeah. I see the um, ship's going well. But anyway, sorry, Bernice. Uh, my favorite uh, IMDb um, new entry of, new this entry year. of the year. Um, I have to admit that of the list I, I perused, I haven't seen a few of them, including into the Spider-Verse, which I've heard is very good. Um, I would probably have to say a film that quite a few people I'd imagine are maybe thinking of, which would be Joker. Um, I have to admit I did not love Joker, but I admired it. Um, it's a film that I think should have ended 10 minutes earlier than it did, um, which I also think cribs a lot of its better ideas from other better older films, some very obvious Scorsese ones to come to mind. But I think there's a power to it and a resonance and a sense of it being a film of our time. Uh, and it, albeit in an incredibly depressing way, um, that makes it an well, obvious... These are very depressing times. <laughs> an obvious, um, uh, a worthy... And I think it's a film people are going to be talking about for quite some time. So that's why I'd pick Joker. Cool. These are depressing times. We have nothing better to do <laughs> than to be in a pub <laughs> on, a, uh, on yeah. a Wednesday evening. On a Wednesday evening film. talking about films. Um, Where has, have our lives gone? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, I think, is what Joker really speaks to at yeah. its core. 
Um, and Jess, of the new entries from this year. So for myself as well, I was also blown away by uh, Into the Spider-Verse. I just thought it was so beautiful. It was really innovative. Um, yeah, and I think it does kind of go back to that kind of classic superhero movie thing where they are kind of outsiders and they're relatable for that aspect whereas now you kind of they're monoliths you have like Thor and Batman and they're just so far divorced from being human that you don't care anymore I think that's the main problem that I have with Marvel and I think Into the Spider-Verse really resolves that and Luke well Darren yourself and Andrew had me on the 250 for (laughs) for two of these entries Uh, One of of them was Bohemian Rhapsody and the other one was Into the Spider-Verse. And uh, listeners, if you listen back, (laughs) I think it will be very clear that uh, Into the Spider-Verse is is my pick for these. Um, Just because I I found it a really, again, a very surprising and entertaining um, film with a lot of layers to it that I didn't, didn't expect. It kind of hits that emotional resonance, which these stories can do. Um, but it, I, I found that it did it a lot easier and a lot more interestingly than, than maybe so, some other films that are quite similar to it. So that, that, that would be my pick. To, to Jess's point, the men's health issue for, um, for Into the Spider-Verse, while it was, was uh, practically non-existent. That's like, a very good Yeah, because they didn't have to get those abs. Um, and it didn't show like a six-week plan or... Um, Nicholas yeah. Cage's six-week full cage plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, useless. <laughs> but sure, one of them had a beer belly. It was very... You know, was like... One of them's yeah. a pig. <laughs> Where did he put that hallet mallet? That's my question. Well, it's a very good point, though, about how it, it, it kind of... Uh, it um, feels like an antidote. Yeah, because Spider-Man, I mean, ultimately is always more so supposed to be like a teenage boy. He's right. disempowered. That's where that's the magic of that story. And like I, I don't want this to descend too much into kind of dunking on the the main Marvel films, which obviously have their their qualities as well, you know. Um, but I, I call it a chaser, maybe more than an antidote. <laughs> yeah, speaking the of olive, which... the olive in the martini. Yeah. Um, but don't worry, we're going to turn to Phil for a defense of Avengers Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> um, what the hell are you all laughing at? Uh, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen a lot of the list because, you know, um, I have to say going to the cinema still actively depresses me at times. Uh, but of what I have seen... How we seen, broke Phil into a movie podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I need friends. Um, of what I have seen, uh, the clear victor for me is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's... Um, it's a film that has restored my faith in Quentin Tarantino. His films since... Um, Sally Menka's passing, I assume. Since, yeah, yeah, since Sally Menka's passing. So basically, post-death proof, we're talking. They have gotten bigger, more bloated, uh, and I've enjoyed them less and less. And then along comes this, which is fun, which is self-referential, and which is shockingly tender and hopeful. And... Um, I haven't had a happier time at the cinema so far this year. It, it's it's kind of glorious. I love nice. it. And Richard? Uh, I feel like in many ways the list was designed for Joker and Joker is the most <laughs> perfect epitome of it. But I'm going to say Spider-Verse as well, in which case there's nothing left to say. It's been said like five times already. So what they all said 
it's pretty We're good. We're going chapter and spider verse on this, eh? <laughs> Indeed. Oh. Oh. I have not missed those. Because halfway around the table. Because we, we, we didn't see each other for almost a month, and you were giving these terrible puns, and I was actually enjoying them. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that'll, that'll go cold pretty quickly. That, that yeah. did go cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was Just last, yeah, last Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Niall, what about yourself? Well, all my life I've been a huge fan of Queen, so I have to go with Spider-Verse. <laughs> uh, but genuinely, Spider-Verse, everyone's already talked about its qualities as a superhero film. But as, a, as an animated film, it's restored my faith in that whole genre. They're still good animated films, but I'm just... I was so sick of the way they looked, for the most yeah. part. Such a clean, like... Like when The Grinch came out, I was working in the cinema and it just made me sad to look at. <laughs> it's like watching wax sculptures, celebrity voices. I forgot that even existed. That's the Benedict Cumberbatch. Yep. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. It was a rough time, but as I said, when I was working in the cinema, <laughs> Spider-Verse being out, I would regularly duck out of my job to sit in for it for 10 minutes. Because it's just eye candy, ear candy. It the the animation technique is actually copyrighted by Sony, as far as I'm aware. Like they, it's, they wrote motion smoothing. Isn't that the, the trick that one of the tricks that they use? It's the, the the characters in the backgrounds work on different frame rates, yeah. and we had a lot of parents come out demanding 3D glasses. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun few weeks. <laughs> when people were going. You do give them 3D, 3D glasses. Did you sell them 3D glasses? <laughs> I, I'd come down and say, "You can take it, but you'll be bringing it back." <laughs> and Chris, what about yourself? Well, now, see, I haven't seen Spider-Verse, so now I'm, like, feeling like I'm really missing a trick, but I'm going to say also Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think. Um, similar to other people, I've kind of grown weary of Tarantino for a long time, um, but and I saw this coming out, good buzz about it, and the running time was a worry. I was like, is this going to be another kind of... Don't worry, we'll, we'll be talking about the Irishman going. next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, the first two acts, kind of real nice pace, really kind of earn audience trust to, to really that final third act payoff was, um, I really bought into it and I loved it. And I, I the same the same thing other people said as well, that real hopeful ending was a real, yeah, it's a beautiful film. I loved it. And Jay. Uh, Mine is once, but no, it's not. I'm joking. Um, mine is Capernaum, uh, and I like to see the 250 bleed out into world cinema. I think it's a really important yeah. and long overdue um, yeah. change for well, I mean, building things. Like. If we look at the changes that have taken place in list just generally this year, where you've seen movies dropping out like Donnie Darko, like Jaws, a lot of them have been replaced by films from India, from China. It's um, like there's a world beyond Hollywood, right? Almost. I mean, <laughs> like, who would have thought? Who would have thought it? Like, once upon exactly. a time in the uh, world. Yeah, I mean, I, I, oh, I, I, bad, bad. Jesus, wept there. You can do better. I, I hope you. He can't. Uh, but, uh, this is like the second episode, so I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, Capitum, I, I didn't really know the Dean Labaki as a director. Ronan put me onto her, and he may say this: the two of us did the pod, the two fifty on it. Um, I thought it was incredibly miraculous film, heartbreaking, really funny. And uh, very moving and really great camera work, really interesting uh, performances and extremely, extremely emotional. I absolutely loved it. So, yeah, absolutely deserves to be there. 
and Ronan. Well, I'm really glad Jay said that I turned him onto Lavaki because otherwise it sounded like I'm copying him. But it's it's uh, Capernaum for me as well. There's a depth of humanity to Nadine Lavaki's filmmaking as seen in her previous two films. I think this new one is her best by some distance. It's it's incredible. It's got one of the greatest double acts in cinema history, yes. as far as I'm concerned, in two remarkable child performances. And Jonas and Zane, isn't it? Yes. It's, those two characters together are incredible, and they. Get, they navigate something that is incredibly tough. It's a really, really dark social situation with such humor. And I think the passion in that film, and you wonder maybe a, a film like this that makes its way onto the list, is it because there's a great social passion behind it? And you look, in the 12 months uh, since it came out, uh, Lebanon, the country it's set in, has erupted into social revolution. You know, it gets at these ideas of a society in turmoil with such precision and warmth and humor, I think it's absolutely remarkable. Cool. And Grace? I will have to say Endgame, because I love Endgame, as far as I'm concerned, as a five-star masterpiece and a monumental achievement after 10 years of Marvel movies that I love, apparently, even if no one else does. So that would be Marky my Marky hates you, Grace. Uh, yeah, well, he's wrong. Hundreds of billions. Lots of people love Marvel. I feel like Grace hasn't gone to see Endgame, you know, what, 200 million times to get that box office off. Oh, cool. I'm done. Reef, it's that point. I'm liking this approach. Um, And Babu, if you had to pick a film from the past year that Uh, made the IMDb list. It wouldn't be Spideyverse, is it? I never saw it. Spideyverse. I think there were so many um, of these Marvel uh, kind of films and that one just slipped under <laughs> the radar for me. I saw it at the in the listings but I thought no. Um, <laughs> I, so, I love that. I'm not gonna listen to anybody at the table who says it's actually a good film. Oh, it probably is, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not gonna watch a cartoon, so look. I've seen so many. Uh, so yeah, I, I must admit, I, my favourite film of those that were seen, and I think, I mean, it went to see one with you, the same. We did. So, think. yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would have been my favourite of the year, I think. Well, was um, it because you saw it with, with me? Us. Or, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, think, I think I may have seen it three times, actually. Um, <laughs> because I just, I love the idea of a film. And, and I think uh, other people have mentioned this as well. I think it was one of his better movies you know, of recent times. I haven't liked all of his movies, um, but this one I really enjoyed. And I think the reason behind it was that as soon as you, it starts and then you, you kind of get this feeling, I'm going to really enjoy this movie. It's just that you're actually, it kind of sucks you in. You're in the movie almost because it's so beautifully made and all the little bits and pieces like the soundtracks on the radio, you know, the... Um, the recreation of all of the, uh, the kind of the, the street fronts. And a lot you know. of the props that actually came from Tarantino's own collection as well. Ah, I wasn't aware of that. He has a collection of stuff? You're Who would have kidding me. <laughs> He'd almost swear he was like an obsessive collector of pop memorabilia. And, and, and I think... All the sandals, I imagine. <laughs> Donalds. But not that kind. <laughs> no. Lest he had some actual obsession. <laughs> and, uh, and I think also the... Um, the partnership between Brad Pitt and DiCaprio. Yeah, DiCaprio, it reminded me of the Redford Newman double act. kind of double act. So it, it's got that kind of because I know that uh, similar ages. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean in the sense that if you think about it, you know, years ago 
when Redford starred in uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Newman was already a lot older than him. And then, uh, I think it was around 76, I think they did The Sting. So, 73. 73. Yeah, so, I mean, this is kind of a, it looks like a possible similar burgeoning partnership. So, I loved it. Oh, uh, yeah, and Giovanna loved the dog. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love Brandy. You can't say that you love the dog. Yes, I love her and uh, the way that uh, she was eating uh, rat flavor food. Brandy, is that? <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. She was yeah. called Brandy and she was so sweet, but then she, she was deadly when uh, she needed yeah, she to be it. So. Oh, okay. Yes, I love that touch with the dog. That's uh, the next film, Sweet and Deadly. Um, Once upon a time in Hollywood. <laughs> Part she two. Won the, she won the Palm Dog. She did. Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah. yeah, and perhaps deservedly so. Mm. Perhaps the most kind of. I think it's the most consensus. I don't think way. there's any perhaps about it. <laughs> okay. Read the room, apparently. Was that a dog story? Well, I was going to say the, con- the most consensus winner since I believe the dog and the artist. Ah, Augie. Uh, Augie. Okay. Yes. Okay. Wasn't it a? Uh, uh, Jean-Luc Godard's one as a white language of the dog. Yeah, I think that one. What's the real house choice for Pam Dog? <laughs> I heard it was a bit rough myself. Oh. Oh. I'm going to murder you, Darren, if you've got one more. Can you not limit these to one per question? Per <laughs> There's going to be at least 50 Just of them. Save it up. <laughs> and Giovanna, so would does Brandy get Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Home for you, or would you pick another movie? Uh, I actually, yes, I, I mean, I really loved uh, Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood, but uh, unfortunately I picked a different movie because I thought uh, nobody else would pick it and I really liked it as well. And uh, this film uh, is, uh, as you might guess, uh, Uri, The Surgical Strike, which is uh, an Indian film. It's a um, army um, um, thriller, basically, and uh, that is inspired by real event and it talks about um, a military operation in response to basically a um, terrorist terrorist attack in a city called uh, Uri um, in uh, Kashmir in northern India and it's starring Vicky Kaushal who is um, a rising star of Bollywood cinema and the film is uh, really really good uh, in terms of direction, in terms of the way the uh, fight sequences are choreographed and uh, the leading um, uh, character um, uh, played by Vicky Kaushal is uh, really effective, is uh, showing strength but also emotion because uh, the film uh, really shows what it means to be in the army and to lose loved ones at the end of terrorists. And then uh, there are even uh, strong uh, female characters. There is an Air Force pilot whose um, husband was also killed by terrorists and another intelligence officer that is uh, protecting the family of uh, these uh, members of um, um, uh, the special task force uh, uh, who are um, uh, in charge of fighting terrorism. So the film was uh, really, really good, really um, well made and uh, really enjoyable. And uh, uh, Michi, do you want to talk about the drone? Mention the IT. Sorry, you should oh, introduce yourself. This is Michi. Michi? Oh, sorry. Zendaya uh, is. Yes. Um, <laughs> now there was one. It- LeBron James. <laughs> uh, uh, Calling Michi. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there was one. Um, one extraordinary scene with uh, an IT guy in, and there he's actually in charge of the drone and uh, he knows that there's um, a bit in the film, I'm not going to spoil it, but well I will. Um, <laughs> yes. How are we in the spoiler zone? Everything is in the spoiler zone. So, okay. yeah. oh, yes, okay, that's canon. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually it's interesting because um, the, the, the chap mentioned um, the fact that world cinema now is quite prominent on that. Jay. 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 
the, yeah, the guy looking at his phone at the moment. That was quite a surgical strike, Bevan. <laughs> oh. Outstanding. Well, it's actually quite a good I'm only jealous because he's drinking Guinness and. Uh, but this is the you want to Guinness? Yeah, go get a Guinness. Get yeah, no, I, I mean, look about Stay where you are, I'll get you a Guinness. Giovanna said no. Guinness break. about the drone, me too. Oh, right. Guinness is much more important, I would say, Bevan. This is just an absolutely spectacular scene where um, the IT guy is in charge of a drone and then um, the the soldiers are trapped in this tunnel so it's kind of tunnel kind of thing yes. and the drone becomes um, their eyes you know and the IT guy doesn't realise so what he's doing is he spots the terrorists and he tells them where the terrorist is not realising that once they've actually spotted the terrorist the soldiers are going to kill him and then so there's that shock when the terrorist dies and then he realises that he was the reason behind it because he said, he's over there! And that's why. So that was pretty good. <laughs> no, and then uh, there is uh, another scene because the drone is shaped as a falcon, basically, you know, and there was um, uh, a child together or a uh, young teenager together with the terrorists, and at a certain stage he sees the drone, but uh, he thinks it's a toy, you know, and instead um, it's actually made for killing, so that scene is also quite uh, poignant because um, it shows, uh, I mean, the different perceptions of uh, killing machines. We, we should mention actually that Uri is, it has screened in Ireland, but it's not available on home media. So we are waiting for a Blu-ray or home media release to actually be able to cover that. Um, not quite going the full Crimea on this. Anyway. It has to be Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. Did it show on cinemas here? It did actually. Yeah, it yeah, it's in January. Um, it's actually a very big hit. Yeah, it's a massive hit. It's yeah. huge in, in India. Fascinating. They do. It's good that they get released here. Did like it's a small enough release, but they do quite well. Yeah, I think. But we we'll never. I always forget to go see them. No, <laughs> the, no, I mean, it's not a release. Yeah, because now there is a yeah, big yeah. Uh, on. South Asian community yeah. here, so they uh, yeah. they release yeah. uh, most uh, uh, Bollywood film or yeah. anyway, even uh, some South. You see world, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. mainly see the yeah. world, but yeah. even in other cinemas like in Leafy Valley and so. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, because there is a big uh, Indian community living there. I, I think that's Cineworld had a some kind of deal years ago where they were looking to produce a lot more outlets for Indian cinema. And I think most people would enjoy Surgical Stripe because the way that it's it's made, um, even Western audiences could appreciate the... You'd say it's striking? Oh, definitely. Okay. Oh, right. 49. So, and then also, it's not nope. your typical Bollywood film because okay. uh, it's, it's not all the yeah. song and dance, uh, la la la, meandering narrative, you know, it's uh, to the point, it's um, a war film, so. And the, the action sequences are really well you know, choreographed, kind of realistic in, in certain ways. Deadly. Cool. And Joe. Your choice from the new entries this year. No pressure, Joe. Uh, last a big. Yeah. You better have some good. I know, right? Uh, this, this film. I wasn't really listening to you guys. This <laughs> Spider-Man film. Um, no, there was. Of, of I mean, the it was ones, more of a theme park ride, really. Okay. <laughs> All right. Stop it. <laughs> of the ones on the list that I've seen, and I've only seen about three or four of them, um, Toy Story Four would be mine. Um, it's I a just, good choice, I think. Yeah, I just thought it was uh, really really gorgeous and it really won me over because when it was announced um toy story 3 had ended so perfectly i was such a a perfectly contained little trilogy story so it had to win me over by to prove its existence 
and um, I just thought it was so meaty and heartfelt and fun and gorgeous to look at and the animations really come along to the extent that some scenes look live action um, so it's like you're really watching a doll waddling along yeah. and interacting with the world and Gabby Gabby the kind of villain in the story the Christina Hendricks yeah, the, yeah the little um, baby doll Ooh. voiced by who's Christina it, Hendricks who's introduced to the soundtrack of The Shining <laughs> with an army of ventriloquist dummies yeah that's Scary right scene. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. very menacing ventriloquist dolls in it um, but she's a really complex character yeah. and she it's I love when a character you she doesn't really go on a journey so much as your perception of her goes Shifts on the journey. Yeah. Um, and it really concluded nicely. And Keanu Reeves steals the film as he's Canada's done. Canada's greatest stuntman. Yes. Duke Kaboom. Um, he, like, he walked away with um, Always Be My Maybe earlier this year. The rom-com yes. just in one or two scenes. And he walked away with this film in about three scenes. Um, He's having a moment, and I'm here for that. Um, yeah, I just loved it. I thought it was gorgeous. Cool. And I, I would agree with that. I actually had a similar sort of journey with it, where I was like, do I need this? And at the end, I was like, actually, I kind of did. Yeah. Uh, um, I actually went to see it I, in the cinema four times with my kid. Oh, and, um, wow. and during a really poignant moment, and the last time I saw it, there was another dad there. And it was a really heartbreaking moment. And he went, oh, ha, ha, ha. A, really, a really obnoxious, massive laugh. Like, is this man a donkey? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it How um, much money have you given to Disney this year? Like, oh, God. It's uh, your yeah. fault, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, lots. About as much as Grace. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Lots of films out this year didn't make the list. So we're going to ask our roundtable panel of experts what film from this past year they think is most deserving of a place on the list of the 250 greatest movies of all time. And Andy? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's amongst the 250 best films ever made because it's still fairly new, but I would, I'm going with another film uh, that I interviewed the filmmaker of. Like, I interviewed Tarantino a few days after I was on the episode with oh. you. Um, at Cannes. Oh, yeah, because you were in Cannes. Yeah, I went down there and I interviewed him and DiCaprio and all these other people. And then, But the previous year, I interviewed a filmmaker called David Robert Mitchell, whose movie Under the Silver Lake I'm going to choose. Yes. Favorite movie. Oh, that's a controversial one. It is, it is. It's really, really divisive. I, but um, I loved it. I thought it was really fascinating. I mean, I, can, I did pick it apart. I reviewed it on my own podcast, Cultural Capital, and took it to pieces. But also, even after I took it to pieces, I was like, it's still such a compelling film and it's such an interesting, unusual move to be able to make that after It Follows and make something so strange with such a great score, such a good performance, and so divisive. Yeah, I do understand why people don't like it, and they're like, oh, my God, yet another movie made for young white men, as if the world isn't full of those already. But I think he's just so interesting. Andrew Garfield, I think, has got such a great performance. It's just such a wild swing for the fences, you know, this film. It's just got such ambition, and it just sprawls. Um, the score is so great. It's full of surprises. They're literally dancing on the grave of Hitchcock in one scene. It's just got such a great sense of humour, um, and... I love the fact that you can then go to the Reddit page and just dive in there for another dozen hours trying to decode the film. A film that bothers so much to hide, hide code throughout it, I think, is a film worthy of more attention. And that's Under the Silver Lake. Um, and, and, it, and, it, yeah, and it's, it's worth noting as well that I think even among our guests here tonight, there's probably some division there. Again, it's interesting. You mentioned Capernaum as your favourite new film. Jay Coyle, who was a guest on that, I think that he's a big fan of Silver Lake as well. Oh, really? Yes. So it's an interesting choice. <laughs> it is. So, Tony... Yeah, I am going for James Gray's Ad Astra, which I think has been a little bit overlooked, to be honest. Came out not so long back. 
at first, a lot of the reviews were positive, but then there seemed to be quite a little bit of pushback against this film. Obviously, it's, it was described as Apocalypse Now in Space, which I think is a fair approximation if you really want to boil it down. Um, although Apocalypse 2001, yeah, with with a fair dash of event horizon as well. If you want, if you want more of an intellectual event horizon, I suppose. But I think it had a lot of pushback because it it does have some slightly wacky stuff in there at the same time, um, which maybe you know in hindsight is a little bit, you know, it, it sort of diffuses what it was really going for. But I thought ultimately at the heart of it was a. Re- I love these kind of somnolent science fiction epics where. It takes its time. It's quite inward, internal. And obviously this one very much taps into the Apocalypse Now stuff by having Brad Pitt narrate it all the way through in this search for his father. Um, and it goes down to some very core sort of mythic elements to do with the, you know, the um, the far, sins of the father and the id and all this kind of, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but it, it it's, it's really, it's got a beautiful score by Max Richter. It's the visuals. I saw it on a big screen and the visuals are, are gorgeous and the colors the use of colors yeah amazing. and brad pitt puts in a, his second great performance of the year he's had a good year after once upon a time in hollywood and i i think it's one of those that people have been a bit quick to dismiss when i think it's one of the standout films of the year and carl um your own uh, film you've seen this year that you think deserves a place on the list Right, well, I've chosen the film that had the biggest emotional impact on me this year, uh, which was Gorinda Chadder's Blinded by the Light. Um, Ooh, now, I really love this one, actually. Yeah, now I'm in one of the key demographics for this, and I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Bruce Springsteen. So on one level, it's unsurprising that this struck a chord with me, but it's more than that, I think, you know. I mean, as I was watching it, I was thinking about how's, how's a non-Bruce Springsteen fan going to respond to this? And I was sort of thinking, well, you're probably going to be cringing at some of these scenes, you know, the way they incorporate the music and so on. But after a certain point, I thought, you know what? This awkwardness kind of works in the film's favour, I think. Because the film really captures what it's like to be obsessed by something that the people around you ultimately just don't give a damn about, you know. Um, So to that end, it's kind of appropriate. This is a film that actually the story takes place after Springsteen's commercial peak has come and gone. It's a time when most people have moved on, but Javid, uh, the main character, just beginning to immerse himself. And the film just gets a lot right, I think. It's got this really nice evocation of 1980s Britain, in a way that's also kind of um, apposite for the Springsteen connection. You know, it's uh, a lot of his songs take place against uh, backdrops of unemployment and deindustrialization. So this kind of Thatcher era setting works uh, really well, I think. It's got a very... Um, I found the, the father-son narrative very moving. I think it really worked really well. It, I could see myself in both characters, I think. The kind of um, the father who was struggling and the son who was struggling to connect uh, with the older guy as well. So... This is a good film. The performance is very good. The soundtrack's very good. Captures what it's like to be a blinkered fan of something. Um, it's awkward and gauche in some ways, but if you can get on board with that, I think you can potentially get a lot from this film. I can understand why some people wouldn't know, but I, I loved it. And I'll, I'll go on record as somebody who does not consider himself a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, and it's very much exactly what you said. Mm. The film really captures the enthusiasm of being a teenage fan of something in a way that is, yeah. you, you point out, it is gawky, it is embarrassing, it is nerdy, and it's kind of, it's <laughs> it's the rare, it's not really even a jukebox musical, but as far as these sort of musicals drawing from like the back catalogue of kind of classic artists go this is the one that really captures the fanish enthusiasm of loving that sort of music and i, I really really liked it as well yeah i think especially when there are, there are scenes when you see the song lyrics kind of appear on screen in like massive letters and things like that and 
just this idea that when you really take to something, it's like it's the most important thing in the world, even though the rest of the world just doesn't share that interest. So yeah, I would I would agree. And Brian, what would be your choice? Ad Astra. Ad Astra, <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, like Ad Astra is the only film I've seen this year, and I said this in my review, is that it's the only one that it was 100%. I I'm, could give this five stars and defend it to the... Oh, yeah. Death. Sorry, I'm cursed. Um, <laughs> Not for our listeners, you haven't. <laughs> sorry. Um, no, but Ad Astra is the only film I've seen this year where I would, could happily award it five stars and could defend it to the death. Um, I'm really surprised it's not in the t- in the in the 250 yeah, it, though. It had a narrow miss. It was kind of yeah. and then it got released. I think it was. A, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank it you has for no whole It has no merit. <laughs> Thank you for speaking truth to power. Ed. It's only a talking point. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I'm really surprised it didn't make it into. I'm really, really, am surprised, especially considering the likes of Capernaum, which, you know. It, it is a foreign language film. They generally tend to have a smaller audience where that Astra had fucking Brad Pitt in it. Yeah. Like, and it was, you know, big cast. And Parasite and, as well, which hasn't yeah. even been released over here, is currently the 50th greatest movie of all time. Yeah, so I guess that kind of speaks to maybe the, um, I guess, the widening of the yeah. audience for the IMDb. Yeah. Alex. Brian said earlier that he would, um, he would fight to the death Defending this film, I, I probably wouldn't fight to the death. I'd take a light beating for Ad Astra. <laughs> it's it's good. I, there was a lot in this year that I liked, not a lot I loved. Um, but this is probably more towards the top of the pile on the things I, I Did you liked. Think it was stellar. <laughs> not answering that. Um, <laughs> no comment. Good my Alex. No, it's it, it was another one. Like I, don't I, impress you much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's the second time I've used that now. Anytime Brad Pitt comes yeah, yeah. up, I'm going to be waiting for my opportunity but it's to pass. Brad Pitt who thinks he's a rocket scientist. So you get two that's of those. That's true, I didn't think of that. Oh my God. Yeah. And I think he does have a car in one scene. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I guess that's all it's, right. It's great because it's sort of a film I was going in thinking this is going to borrow all these elements. I've seen George Clooney flying in gravity. I've seen Matthew McConaughey go to the ends of the world looking for like saving humanity. Why am I going? What's more? What more is there? This film's actually going to show me. And I found watching it kind of like what you're saying about Toy Story that actually there were things in that that I wanted to see. And I kind of, I kind of needed like, especially just this idea, the way he sort of frames the film. Uh, so, and he kind of uses like Brad Pitt's like really one of the last movie stars. Like the guy still is a movie star. And he knows that. He's, he doesn't focus on the rockets taking off because you'd rather see Brad Pitt's like giant big movie star head and face. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, and then like right like all the way through, it's, it's Brad Pitt's film and it's uh, the first film where I've actually been like, he's incredible in that. I've said before on one of your podcasts that I think he's, he's got great taste and I think that's why he's where he is. Whereas this is the first one I was like, wow, no, that guy, he can really, really sell and hold the film and, and like really, really deliver. So yeah, for me, it would be Ad Astra, I think. You thought it was Rad Astra. Rad <laughs> Astra. You're Bad Astra. Hey, don't make me sad, Astra. Uh, and on that note, Bernice. Uh, hello, yes. I'd just like to uh, say that I'm maybe alone in this. Back to the previous question. I actually really didn't like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I was totally with it. I loved its evocation of late 60s LA. I thought the performances were great. I thought, you know, the bits where um, DiCaprio interacted with the child on set were superb. Yes. And then about two hours in, I thought, 
oh Jesus, is this going where I think it's going? <laughs> I should preface this by saying I'm actually writing a book about California and horror at the minute and I've just spent about six months researching the Manson murders. And for me, it was just monumentally misjudged and I came out of it. I was actually, I, I'll use a word I very seldom use in reference to cinema. Uh, can we, do we have to bleep this? I was, no, 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 it's, it's, it's safe, for, safe for, for podcasting. I was offended by the ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I thought it was really glib and it just really, really effed me off. But oh, sorry, I don't <laughs> then agree with you. <laughs> I'll tell you, I can happily jump in. I But what film would I put on it? <laughs> <laughs> that was the question, yes. <laughs> sorry, I've been stirring this up since August. Um, I would put Midsummer on it. I absolutely, maybe this is a weird uh, term to use in reference to Midsummer. I adored Midsummer. Um, I thought it was absolutely superb. It's uh, Ari Aster's Midsummer, his, his second full-length film after Hereditary, of course, from last year. Um, I just think that he is a superbly promising filmmaker. And with Midsummer, right from the start, you have that sense that you're in the hands of someone who really knows what they're at. And a, a criticism that's been thrown at the film, anyone who's ever seen a folk horror film from about you know scene number two is going, I think I know where this is going to go. And in a way, it goes there. But it's the fun we have along the way. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think was the tension unbearable? Oh, <laughs> I, could, I couldn't bear to tell you. Um, I think Darren is going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> is he? I think in particular Florence Pugh is absolutely outstanding. I think she's only 22 or 23. She's just she really she grinds that film, and um, I think the set direction's beautiful. There's so many little clues in the background. I think most of all, it's it's a it's a profoundly emotional. Uh, a, a very intelligent film about trauma, about grief. Um, and it's also, like Hereditary, it's a film that has a lot of very morbidly funny uh, notes in it. It's also, I think, a really good film about um, the perils of being an asshole when you're doing your PhD, which um, <laughs> <laughs> I can speak from personal experience. It's an occupational hazard. Um, and, and so definitely that would be the one for me that I think is a real keeper. Cool. And Jess? So for me, it this might be off left field, but it was scary stories to tell in the dark. I just thought the character design on it was amazing. I thought all of the different kind of ghosts that each of the characters get were terrifying. And, you know, it's always a bit of a risk to have such a young cast, their actual kids, and you're always on board with them. I thought that they were really strong and it's just genuinely scary. I find, you know, the different kind of short stories within it come back to me and have kind of stuck with me in a way that you wouldn't expect. So yeah, I was just really, really impressed with it. The production design is amazing, particularly the monster in the hospital. Uh, yeah. I think that the design on that is, is really, really great. Yeah, and like I've, I've said before on um, my own podcast, like you're not really seeing actual genuine effects so much anymore with the reliance on CGI. And even in, in the hospital, just having the red light and the corridors and everything, it gives you that sense of kind of claustrophobia and stuff. It, it just shows you don't have to you know, make the moon to make a horror movie. I thought it was great. And Luke, what would be your choice? Um, so I picked Hustlers for this. <laughs> yes. um, I think it's it's quite easy to say that a film is doing, for example, the, the kind of Martin Scorsese beats of a, of a crime story, um, which a couple of films this year have done. <laughs> Um, it, it would make but, a wonderful companion piece with a film that did make the list, perhaps. Uh, but to kind of to say that a film is inspired by another great like filmmaker, you would think Scorsese himself was just like birthed 
fully formed as this like <laughs> adult man with a, like a fully formed knowledge of cinema ready to go as if like he wasn't influenced by anything it's about what you do with that and what i really like about hustlers is how it uses that structure of a, of a crime story to tell a different story about the relationship between mothers and their daughters um, the relationship between Constance Wu and Jennifer Lopez takes that on very quickly and then of course they've got daughters of their own and through the kind of crime story beats of you think this person is working in your best interests and then they're not it does that in a different way Jennifer Lopez isn't looking to get one over on Constance Wu she just kind of fails as a human being <laughs> which we all do you know and it, you know it does all that really well and then the the direction of it itself is I, I find really good. Movie? Yeah. <laughs> well, why is this not on the two <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Well, that's my question. Yeah. Sorry. What are we doing wrong? Like, I don't control. It's not my list. Um, is but, it? But you're such an influencer. But the, <laughs> the, 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 the it is great. The, I, I the, hardly say the control that Lorraine Scafaria has over that narrative and keeping it on a quite a clipped uh, and, and steady pace even though it's covering years and years uh, uh, you know uh, worth of storyline the way that she'll do things like use the music of Usher. Is this the stupid movie? There was the slow realization that our listeners won't quite get to appreciate in the on an audio medium. No, but the 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 fact that she can use music of like Usher in that like really effectively uh, in in a way that works in in the narrative uh, and to usher in the financial crisis as a plot point. What? It's a literal description of how the scene works. (laughs) It's good. It's great. It it feels like a lot. If, if kind of a film is widely released and widely acclaimed now, it's kind of chalked up as a film for our, you know, our times or our film that has something to say about our, our current uh, political environment. But Hustlers does that in terms of the you know financial crisis in a way that actually is very direct and <laughs> makes sense. It's about power and who you know who has that power and how that's used. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's 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 a really good stripper movie. <laughs> what, what can I say? Uh, is it better than Showgirls? Show uh, let's take a poll. Well, uh, <laughs> yes, it's better than Showgirls. We've changed the fourth show question tonight. It's it's as entertaining as Showgirls, I would say. Um, but I mean, uh, the other thing is, uh, uh, in addition to all that, it's also a really good crime story. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it it balances those two things really well. We can do a special bonus. For, 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 for the Patreons here, where we ask we... everyone if it's better than... For anybody who's, who's not satisfied with four hours that this is going to take, <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they can tune in for more. Um, um, and, and Phil. Um, yes. By the way, I like, what, I like what Phil's table has done with their microphone. That's very clever. Um, oh, we didn't fully intentional. Yeah, fully yeah, intentional. Yeah, yeah. My idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oversight, manor, management, that was the key. Uh, I knew when to step in and when not to step in. Uh, but Phil, a film you've seen this year that isn't on the list but you think's deserved, that you think deserves to be. Well, I haven't seen that much this year, as you know, Darren. I, I should probably start a Patreon myself. Philip attempts to give a crap about movies again. Um, yeah, I ain't paying for that. Um, Have you left Twitter? Oh, long ago. Uh, Twitter's the devil, and you all should know better. Um, I've also left Twitter. We should have a Patreon have, yeah. for, for putting, uh, like, a campaign 
to, right. to get filled. They already have a word for this. It's support group. Yeah. We <laughs> <laughs> do realize people are listening to this again. On this the is web, what, right? This is why I'm here. It's not like I I left because I'm lazy. Um, uh, and to focus on the 250 <laughs> Twitter uh, managing that and the Facebook group. You know, yeah. the 250 is a lot of work. How is that Facebook group? And coming? you've aged. Anyway, so. So it took me a while to troll through a few, t- anything that I might have suggested. Um, I thought about maybe say this is non fiction, which I hardly enjoyed. But in the end, I went for a film that. Um, I went in with high expectations with hopes to be creeped out and affected by um, and especially after the Suspiria ma- remake was a bit of a letdown uh, I went with Peter Strickland's In Fabric oh yes yeah. I love In Fabric yeah it's uh, I, I think I've fa- recommended this more than once I'm oh, glad good. we're finally addressing this <laughs> oh Christ sorry continue you, you are <laughs> evil <laughs> anyway Penny um, just dropped and I so, you <laughs> So anyway, this is Peter Strickland's follow-up to The Duke of Burgundy, which is still one of the finest, uh, finest films of uh, this decade. Um, it's uh, the story, basically, it's what if Phantom Thread, but with an actual phantom in the thread. <laughs> uh, it's the story of a haunted dress. I oh, yeah. Do not. And it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, as you, If you've seen The Duke of Burgundy or Bavarian Sound Studio, you know that it's going to look and sound pretty unique. I mean, Jallo inflected, but still with all these vague sensibilities. It's like a, the, the first half of it plays like a, a, a Giallo remake of an episode of Are You Being Served? With these really bizarre uh, shopkeepers and the, the, and Marion Jean-Baptiste character just trying to find a dress and getting a lot more than she bargained for. Incidentally, we missed Marion Jean-Baptiste. She's fantastic. And... Uh, then takes a lurch sideways in the second half to focus on some new characters and to go in some unexpected directions. Um, but it's creepy, it's colourful, it's a lot of fun, and yep, that's my pick in paper. Cool. And Richard? Uh, I'm glad you said it because I was debating saying it, and then I was like, ah, oh, that's a bit too left field for this kind of list, so I didn't say it, but I'm glad you did. Um, so I won't repeat in fabric, and I'll say instead Jonah Hogg's uh, The Souvenir, which... I've heard people complain about it because it's it's very privileged. It's obviously that's me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean fair, but I think the um, <laughs> the focus of the film isn't so much on how privileged she is, and it's more just the the raw, visceral awfulness of that relationship. And I've never seen a film depict like a toxic relationship with such I don't know intense awfulness, and yet at the same time make it entirely believable that neither neither party like walks away from it either. So I think the fact that it managed to capture that and make it relatable on some odd level was quite impressive. Um, it's I don't know, I just found it very tense and yes, great, but in fabric's the real answer. But um, <laughs> the souvenir is also very, very good. Right. And Niall? Uh, yeah. I'm just wondering if it actually came out over here, but Lulu Wang's The Farewell? Mm-hmm. It did, actually. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good taste. Yeah, it's uh, uh, The Farewell. Normally, nothing can make my eyes roll faster than when I hear a film is about family, because it's being played to death in almost every way, or so I thought, until The Farewell brings in like cultural bridging along with the secrets you keep from family and why and how it can tear a family apart even when they're trying to do their best. 
and it's only like 90 minutes. <laughs> That's a selling point these days. Which makes it maybe the best film ever made. Is it better than Fast and the Furious? Uh, not better. <laughs> you mean Fast Five? It's better. Not better. Oh, is it Fast Five? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know why I'm on this podcast. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 this is the Fast and the Farewell. The Fast and the Farewell. Very good. And Chris. Um, yeah. So. You know when you're in a restaurant and the waiters come up to you and you haven't decided yet and <laughs> I'm going to have steak or chicken. I It was a toss-up for me between Ad Astra and John Wick 3. But I'm going to say Ad Astra because it's, for the reasons already said, it's it was spectacular. Brad Pitt was amazing. Out of this world? <laughs> um, <laughs> keep going. Sorry, as well as everything else that's already been said about what it. What happens when we leave silences? <laughs> <laughs> what's, what struck me and what I enjoyed about it was how, like, Interstellar was, like, far east of the galaxy. felt very abstract, intangible, you know, hard to, you know, obviously that's the whole point of sci-fi, but this felt very kind of almost contained. It's like, oh, he's going to the moon. I understand what the moon is and it's there and stuff. And he's going to Mars and it just felt slightly more... It was very focused, even yeah, in terms of like exactly. his camera work, it was very precise and sort of interested yeah. in what was happening on screen at a given moment, really, and really then, tight. Yeah, so kind of like that kind of really, really got on board with that. Ruth Nager was amazing, I thought, the couple of scenes she was in. Um, and I was just really happy that it reminded me so much of Space Cowboys. Um, <laughs> that Tommy Lee Jones has really let himself go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was really hoping for a, a scene them together, but it uh, didn't happen. But anyway... <laughs> That's a did you stay after still. the credits? Huh? Did you stay after the credits? You're part of a much bigger universe. I mean, literally. Have you seen this? <laughs> two um, ads, two Astra. It's going to be good. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, and Jay. Um, I, I will... Uh, Give an honourable mention to Phil's mention of Infabric, which I caught later than I meant to go to see in the cinema. I didn't get because Galway fla- uh, kicked in, but uh, in Infabric's great. A hidden desire I, soon to be echoed in the in the corridors of retail. It's so good. It's <laughs> it's actually unearthly accurate. It? It's, it's terrifying. Uh, Fatma Muhammad, great actress. But I really liked it. Uh, so, but it was it wasn't my pick. But I I it, I can understand why it's somebody else's. It's what great. is your pick? Uh, it's High Life. Um, I'm. Kind of on record, I certainly as a filmmaker, I've seen a few films. They haven't quite worked for me, and I kind of wish I saw what everybody else sees in their films. And it it was quite annoying in some ways because I watched I, I think I watched three of them before High Life, and I was like, eh, they're good. They're not like they're technically very very good, but I can't quite connect to them. And then I watched High Life, and it knocked me sideways. It's my favorite film this year. It's a strange lo-fi sci-fi in the way that they should be done. That effects aren't really anything in the sense of you've got no story. And this one has, has a manky, terrible human bodies shouting into oblivion in a weird, strange way. It's like, you can believe this if you want, but the oh, yeah. box, like lads stuff. Oh, yeah. Box, like, <laughs> like it's saying the ultimate, it, by the uh, way. Julian <laughs> Panache. Yeah, Julia Binoche in a box is one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen. <laughs> and, and it's not even the best thing in the film, but it, my lord, it's incredible. 
Patterson is incredible. We'll have to try and figure out what the box is. What's in the box? Yeah. It's it, a different it's, movie entirely. It's, is it's, there something that sounds like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but what's really interesting is like, it, it, it goes beyond these kind of, uh, I, I guess, treats in the sense of what people go to see cinema for, the kind of grandiose moments and whatever. Like, and and, and it, does, it definitely has that. But it's actually really moving and really sad and really quite beautiful and stunningly shot for, I suspect, not huge amount of money, relatively speaking, to your average space movie. Um, I was floored by it. And it, it's her best film I've seen from her. And I'm now I'm on the, the, the knee train in a very, very real way. I, I like it's the best one I've seen this year and it killed me. So if you haven't seen it, get to the oh, yeah. box, people. Uh, You'll be living the high life indeed. indeed. And Ronan, what is your pick? I'm really sorry to say there isn't a oh, yeah. box in my film. What? Yeah. All uh, I'm going to go for... Oh, yeah. We'll do Wait. it live. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Our can't see me wince every time anybody swears. Uh. I'm going for Araby, which is a film that got a very, very limited release here. So limited it wasn't in cinemas. It was on Mubi for 30 days, as things on Mubi are. Uh, It's a Brazilian film that is all about uh, this kid who is sent to recover some items from a day laborer who has sort of uh, passed out in the job. And the film kind of opens up into this weird half imagining half reminiscence reading from somebody's diary it's absolutely beautiful it's deeply political embedded in the politics of brazil but you don't need to know the first thing about it to kind of understand and appreciate the film um it it kind of made its way through the festival circuit in the last year and a half or so and if you have a chance to watch it you absolutely must it's it's really gorgeous it kind of expands the bounds of storytelling and it will very heavily feature in my favorite films of the decade it's, uh, it, I, I, I've seen it on Ronan's urging and it's pretty yeah, great yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it. it's expansive it's, um, it's not too Bolsonaro <laughs> it's the kind of thing that he's sorry worked. what the hell is happening <laughs> leave the puns <laughs> <to> <laughs> now, <laughs> it's the kind of thing he'd work very very hard to tramp down on because yes. it, yeah, at its heart it's, it's a very it's a socialist uh, kind yeah it of is at its heart it's a very very socialist film if you have a chance to see it do 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 Movie will show it again, I suspect, but it's it's absolutely remarkable. All right, and Grace. Um, yeah, I pick Hustlers as well. Um, yes. Hustlers is one of my favorite films I've seen this year. One of my favorite films I've seen in years. It just feels like such a revolutionary experience to come out of a film feeling that just invigorated by something. And I think the thing I love most about it is just that it's such a beautiful reclamation of the female gaze. I love the way everyone in it is shot. Like there's such an awestruck sense of power to it. There's no voyeurism. It is very, very refreshing in that there's an almost complete absence of male voices throughout the entire narrative, which is something we need more of. So, um, and I love, the way, I love the way it explores sisterhood and solidarity and how women can come together to support each other and work together instead of making it something seedy and destructive and dull. So, I loved it. That would be my pick. It is worth noting that it is a movie where the male lead, I think, is Frank Whaley. <laughs> Whoa! <coughs> yeah, I remember him. Yeah. Who's... The, the only... The guy who gets shot in, in Pulp Fiction. No, I, I remember reading, reading something about the... Uh, somebody who did... Was it stunts for this movie? Where he's, 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 oh, he's the yeah. only male ally. Yes, apparently the stuntman for, uh, the stuntman for Hustlers, yeah. Yeah, you've read this. I have read this. Yes, yeah. Show notes! <laughs> we will include this in the show notes. 
Um, but, way, uh, but yeah, no, our service is great. And Babu? Uh, well, just like many people on this uh, panel, I'm going to pick a, a film that nobody's probably heard of and probably never see. So, um, Gully Boy um, is a Bollywood film out this year. Um, interesting because it uh, is a kind of a rap story. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, Darren's looking at like me and going. Yeah, exactly. Rhythm so poetry. It's been described as um, a kind of a poor man's or an Indian version of 8 Mile. So, um, By the way, rap is an acronym for rhythm and poetry. I don't think our listeners will. Um, it seems like... The, sorry, anyway, sorry. <laughs> this is the man who described hostelers as a stripper story. Anyway. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's... It, I do love that we went from the importance of Hustlers as a movie with female voices empowered to Andrew explaining that rap means rhythm and poetry to the room. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I mansplained. I didn't explain anything. Uh, sorry, I'm going to forgive Andrew because he bought me a pint and that's going uh, <laughs> to make this podcast a lot easier to get through. Um, yeah, Gully Boy. I, I would, there's not much else I can say. It's a great film. It's an interesting film. Different from a lot of Indian films because of the nature of uh, the topic area. Um, I'll leave it at that. Uh, also because the music, uh, I mean, uh, rap music is not so big uh, in uh, in India. Normally, the uh, music scene is dominated by Bollywood uh, uh, movies, uh, songs. So, I mean, uh, it's um, striking that they made uh, a film about uh, rap and about uh, a guy from a slum and uh, an untouchable that is uh, uh, becoming a successful rapper. And Giovanna, what would be your pick? Um, the film that I would like to see in um, in the list would be Sanju, and it's um, a Rajkumari Rani film. Rajkumari Rani is an Indian director who directed even Three Idiots, the film you liked, uh, Jay. Yes. 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 <laughs> and uh, basically, uh, Sanju is about Sanjay Dutt, who is a Bollywood star, and uh, um, he had a very colorful life, uh, to say the least. At one stage, I exactly, the exactly. The because uh, basically, um, the film chronicles his life from uh, when he uh, was born into a fi- uh, family of uh, film stars uh, and uh, his father was never happy with him. Then he started using drugs uh, and uh, then uh, basically he was caught up um, uh, with his um, um, uh, weapons that were used in the 1993 Bombay terrorist attacks and uh, basically was charged with terrorism and he was in and out of jail for um, uh, several years and uh, basically uh, the film shows um, um, uh, his life and shows how unforgiving the presses and the media when uh, you you make a mistake they were um, uh, constantly charging him of terrorism they were uh, uh, constantly against him it shows even how unforgiving the show business is uh, there are so many people like that are uh, uh, pretending to be his friends in the film just to sell him drugs and it's uh, it's a very very uh, good film very interesting and uh, he doesn't uh, try to redeem him or anything but he shows the 
humanity behind the, the, the film star and uh, he's a um, very f famous uh, uh, film star and uh, he has been in uh, several of, of the films in the list like for example PK and yeah, he exactly was, uh, was playing uh, the, um, uh, uh, the friend of um, the Amir director, Khan yeah. yes yes and then he's in Munabai and BBS who is also in the list so he's a very um, prolific um, uh, film actor and uh, he has been in uh, many comedies and action films and he's uh, very very successful and uh, so uh, basically and it's an interesting take because he's still uh, alive and relatively young still working and uh, so they they made a film about um, a contemporary kind of movie star so I, I would really recommend it we should say before <coughs> anyone rushes out to post it that uh, that um I think docu documentaries for some reason. It's not a documentary, though. It's a narrative film. Is it? Yeah. It's an artist film. Yes, yes, it's a fictional. No, no, it's a fictional film. And actually, Joanna, don't let him start. Let him carry on. Let him carry on and get another pint out of it. This is not a documentary. No, it's a narrative film. You're killing him. It's a documentary. It's a documentary. No, probably I should have mentioned that Rambir Kapoor was really good at playing the part of Sanjay. So he's an actor. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, the stock footage is really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the <laughs> No, I think he was he was a, a huge star, um, probably in the eighties, really. Yes, and he then, started uh, with Rocky, and uh, then uh, uh, he starred in uh, dozens of films, really. And now he's got a, he's really a bit of a renaissance now, isn't he? In later, so it's basically a biopic, uh, Bollywood style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's funny. It's interesting because. It shows his point of view from how when he got arrested and the fact that the, like, just by um, accident there might have been some, you know, like I think he bought, he got a gun because he'd been threatened yes. by gangsters. By gangsters, and it turned out exactly. The gun had been and so he got, yeah, exactly. And then he kind of got embroiled in all of yeah. this kind of... Uh, <laughs> Happens to the best of us. Indeed. Um, but anyway, so Joe, <laughs> what would be you all the time there? <laughs> but anyway, catch that. It's a brilliant documentary, just as Andrew mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> you get a chance. Yeah. All right. So Joe, what would be your pick from the, from the year that's been... What's your favourite documentary, Joe? Uh, well, there, there's a really good documentary by Jordan Peele called Us. Uh, yeah, no, I, I loved Us. Um, I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was just an absolute blast. It's um, one of those films where you pay your whatever, 9 to 15 euro, depending where you go. Good and God. you really got... Well, in Piccadilly Square, it's like 15 pounds. But anyway, uh, but you really get your bang for your buck with the movie. And I don't think anyone walking out of that film felt ripped off it's so <coughs> sorry <laughs> some of my throat sorry uh, no. me, go on um, on Wednesday nights it's cheaper if you're not recording a podcast <laughs> thanks, thanks Andrew yeah. thanks Andrew I feel like we're getting off topic yeah. Um, but yeah no I just I thought it was outrageously entertaining I thought it was witty um, inventive original and just really rich with themes um, not just about like the haves and the have nots but about who you are and whether you can change the past and whether it's important you leave things behind or what you can change for the future. Um, awesome ending. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o is becoming... Oh, she's amazing. Yeah, she's becoming one of my favorite actresses um, or actors. Uh, I remember hearing an interview with Jordan Peele and he said he wanted somebody who was able to play both Clarice Starling and Hannibal Lecter and he got that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just loved it. I, I loved it as well. I'm going to throw my... my 
my hat in the ring there on that one. All right, oh, then. sorry, it's not a documentary. You're spoiling our solo boba. Um, well, no, I haven't said that's the one I pick. I'm just saying that I like that movie. Um, all right, I suppose so. I also did the same thing. <laughs> now, before we jump into our discussion of 1999, Andrew has suggested that we pause for a moment to celebrate the movies that we lost this year on the list. I the... never said that. <laughs> You're the one who suggested I'm not it. Do that. an immemorial uh, section was what you geez. suggested. This is why I don't clear things with you beforehand. Because... Um, I, I felt like we do, like, uh, I, I would be the appropriate person to do that somber thing that they do on the... Darren is handing me a piece oh, of paper. Here's <laughs> <laughs> your favorite current oh, statement. Well, we, well, do you have to read them out? Do you want to read them in a well, somber tone? Yeah, oh, these are the movies that have disappeared from the list this year. I was going to talk about people who died. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I thought that would be a bit of a mood kind of downer, possibly. I so, yeah. I'm look, but, I've seen the first uh, film on the list. That'll only cheer people up. Can we clarify that all these films are now bad films? All these films are no longer the 250 greatest films ever made. So, Andrew, would you like to take us through that, then? Jaws, not, 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 not because it's um, the first one, but uh, because it's the one we should be most sad about. Um, I like that we're doing the Oscars version. We're just going to forget Bohemian Rhapsody is on there. Bohemian Rhapsody uh, can burn in hell. Uh, yes, it what can. What even was Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans? Uh, we're now. We're now. The 1927 classic. Where were you in Why the 20s, didn't we man? See it? <laughs> because we. We've only been doing this for 150 weeks, Andrew. We haven't done the full 250. Oh, we need to get that. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's gone so now. It's dropped out this year. A Star, yeah. Those oh, are the films that are lost. Yeah. It is. Star is great. A Star yeah. is born, uh, which, 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 uh, which, 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 and, 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 and I believe, I think Stacy liked it a lot more than I did. Yes, that yeah, is probably yeah. the most diplomatic um, way to phrase that. The Grapes of Wrath, um, the Maltese Falcon, sorry, I'm supposed to be... The absolute worst grapes, they <laughs> yeah. were the worst grapes. Uh, they, they are. They, <laughs> are they better than sour grapes? Spare a moment for the Maltese Falcon. Oh, that's that a good movie. Oh, that that's gone good. now, yeah. Mm. Dun, to make room for oh, Joker. We should sacrifice that song. It's okay to, you know, new films are good. Le Diabolique. Le Diabolique. Chris! Sanjuro! No! Sanjuro left the list. Delete the podcast. Gandhi's dead. Gandhi died this year. Was that a sequel? Yeah. I'm pretty sneaky bastard. Gandhi's dead is the legitimate sort of Christian version of this starring Kevin Sorbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dean Kennedy. Right? I've got a bit of trivia about Gandhi. They were Gal. considering casting um, Anthony Hopkins in Brownface. Sorry, guys, can we give the, the Gandhi news? It's, it's due, please. Oh, yeah, there's a bit of Gandhi trivia. Is um, Attenborough was considering casting Anthony Hopkins in Brownface as uh, Gandhi. Well, well, this is the perfect uh, opportunity to resurrect that Richard Burton slash Anthony Hopkins impression. Oh, now, you know, Britain must quit in, you know, you really must. Oh, they were all. That's what he's he's wearing brown face. That's exactly it. We have have footage from the alternate timeline where that took place. Also, I recommend tuning in to our episode about Exodus 2, The Heretic, starring me and Bernice. Um, 
Okay. Be proud, be proud. I'm still, I'm still recovering from We all that are. Film from... Did I hear someone point out that Phil is in brown face? <laughs> That's why we haven't taken any photos this evening. Yeah. Uh, um, You're very problematic, Phil. Uh, yeah, yeah, very, it's not cool. Um, but he could uh, still be Prime Minister of Canada twice. Oh, no! We're coming for nice. you, Trudeau. <laughs> Hope you're listening. Meryl Streep was doing brownface this year, just for the record. Jeez, really? In the laundromat? What's that? Oh, she does! I've been holding on to this for a while, but yes. Meryl Streep in the laundromat, yes. Meryl Streep is shit, I always said it. She's been trying to look. Cancelled. Get on with it. Monty Python, get on with it. Get on with it! Get on with it! The Groundhog... The Groundhog Day. I know you've ruined for like 12 Guinnesses last year. Groundhog Day I love. Yeah. I, I, Everyone I, I, loves it. I was Fantastic. actually looking forward to They're doing it with David Singleton because I think it's his favourite movie. Oh. He, he joined us for back. Can I recommend that we actually get the person who speaks Italian here to say the Italian title next? Thank you for asking. Just give me oh, a... Yeah. Yeah. What's happening? Nights of Cabiria. Le notti di Cabiria. You don't have to scratch it back. I thought you were going to hand that to Darren. Uh, also, uh, Blade Runner 2049. Oh, R.I.P. Would you stop? I think I think there are a lot of people will be sad about this one. <laughs> oh, oh. La, la, la. La, 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 la. we all remember two years ago. Oh, <laughs> which is Every, the La La Land is the reason. We, was, uh, it's the reason we that don't was ask. The die. We don't ask <laughs> negative questions on this anniversary <laughs> podcast. Moonlight's still there though. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Moonlight was there for 17 minutes. Um, we still covered it, though. We did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge is still there. Green Book is still there. Did we do uh, a... Yes. I presume Jerry Mandarin works on ADB as well, right? We <laughs> sorry, sorry, Jerry. Jerry. I said, I presume Jerry Mandarin and Republicans is on ADB as well as... Uh, Who's Jerry Mandarin? Yeah. I give you people gold and they get nothing. <laughs> That's right, and Andrew. <laughs> um, the Wizard of Oz, one of oh. our seasons. I don't care for the Wizard of Oz. Which you may not have done yet. That's all right. Okay. I love the Wizard of Oz. Jaws. Jaws. I'll say it again. Jaws. Paper Moon, which we covered. Mandarin. Tangerines. Tangerines. That doesn't belong there. It's fine. It doesn't at all. It never did. Estonia's first We were happy. You invited us along for it. You, you can tell the two guests who actually have seen Tangerines because they're the ones who covered it, it with us. <laughs> it's okay. Like, we it have to talk fun. about it for an hour. It was a stretch. Orange <laughs> I don't think any of us particularly liked it. I think I no. took the role as a person defending it because I was like, yeah, it's a movie about how war is bad. There should be more of those. Um, I admire that message. Uh, <laughs> outstanding. <laughs> what is uh, it? Born Ultimatum. Oh. It's gone. Oh, yeah. Oh. A Wednesday. Sorry. It did. Pirate, why, why is Pirates of the Caribbean the curse of the Black Pearl on this list? It keeps going in and out. Yeah. Yeah. Can we just stop talking about the bad films yeah. along yeah. the way? Thankfully the, the list is over. <laughs> yeah. I don't get to talk about person. people who died. Uh, the best years of our lives. Amazing. Uh, has passed. What? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> All right. And then we're going to continue on with our third and fourth questions, which are... And for our third question, because during, uh, during the summer, myself and Andrew took a wonderful trip through the year 1999, which, by the way, is somehow still it's ongoing. <laughs> it felt like it to me, Andrew. Um, okay. But yeah, so we asked our panelists, because 1999 is generally regarded as one of the best years in film. 
which of the 1999 movies to make the list they consider to be the most deserving of its place. And just for our listeners, those films are Fight Club, The Matrix, Green Mile, American Beauty, The Sixth Sense, Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, The Cider House Rules, AKA the folksy abortion movie, um, Magnolia, Boys Don't Cry, Man on the Moon, The Straight Story, Toy Story 2, AKA the only Toy Story movie not on the list, The Insider, Dogma, All About My Mother, Three Kings, Being John Malkovich, The Blair Witch Project, Tarzan, The Iron Giant, Election, October Sky, Is this I watched movie that came out of that <laughs> October Sky. Um, does anybody remember October Sky? Boom, got it. Um, Go. Is that the castle? <laughs> That's a good film. South Park. And The Phantom Menace. What yet wax disputes for the win? <laughs> okay, well, um, this is a tough one because you're right. It's an astonishing year for film. Um, there's a very good reason why it's you know got the legacy it has, um, and it was really really difficult. I've actually literally paused the movie The Mummy about five minutes before I, we called because I was just wanting to run to run through. I wanted to be a completist about this, and I've decided I'm going to go with All About My Mother, uh, the film by Pedro Almodovar. Which was kind of because one of the things about 1999 is it, is it was the beginning of this sort of diversification of the, this wider recognition of um, in America that they, they, they felt like there was a new wave of films coming. I mean, there were so many great American movies as well, but I feel like All About My Mother was just this big wake up call for so many people, myself included, for the color and for the storytelling style and for the characters that Almodovar puts in his films and for this energy that, he's, that he manages to invest and this way of playing around with soap opera but then making it so serious and so deep and so emotional at the same time. I think it's such a great film. It's aged really, really well. Almodovar, of course, this year is Pain and Glory. He may well get another Oscar nomination. May well get an Oscar nomination for Best Director. Um, it depends when you're listening to this. Maybe it's already happened. Maybe this is a laughable suggestion. But at the moment, people are talking about Banderas and um, Almodovar for, the, for Pain and Glory. So, Tony, of the IMDb's 1999, which is your favourite film? So yeah, I'm got, I'm I'm touching on uh, <laughs> on territory that Carl and I have covered on our own podcast, Motion Pictures, not so long back. But I'm going for The Blair Witch Project, which I adore that film. And I that was the film, 1999, I mean, I'm sure you're covering this, not just because it's 20 years, but there's been a lot of stuff, hasn't there? There's been that book that came out this year. I forget the name of it. book, which is fantastic. Best movie year ever. That's uh, right. Which was a touchstone for us. Yeah. That's right. There's a really good podcast out there called Podcast Luck. It's 1999. That's going through them all as well. It's It's really sort of in vogue right now this year. And it is a dynamite year of movies 1999 so there's a hell of a lot to go through but of all the one i was uh 17 in 1999 so i was primed and in the just really starting to get into films as a as a young adult and 1999 i saw loads of stuff at the cinema but the blair witch project was the one that that really shook me to the core you know and i'd heard a lot about it on um in things like total film this was pre-internet being everywhere, you know what I mean? So I wasn't really on the internet, but I was reading Total Film and hearing about the can, people walking out of can and being sick and thinking it's real and all this kind of stuff that, you know, happened in the 70s with The Exorcist and things like that. And when I watched it, I felt cold by the end because I can't remember a horror film. There aren't many horror films that really, and still, even to this day, have the effect on me that that does. When I, I, I a lot of people, the Blair Witch Project, seem to think, that they can't let themselves really buy into that film. You know, they won't let themselves buy into that film. They won't let it take them over. They won't put themselves in that position. And I've, I've watched it with people who've been laughing all the way through. And I think 
it misses the point of what it's actually trying to do and what it's saying and how it created this subgenre in horror of the fan footage, um, you know, movie and tapped into so many primal things. You know, I could talk for years about the Blair Witch Project, but I, I've never been, I don't think I've ever been more scared in a cinema. And every time I watch it, it still terrifies me. And I still think it is an absolute masterpiece, even though I appreciate it. It I understand why it's divisive, but I just love every minute of it. And Carl, um, your own choice. Right. So I'm going to choose a film that arrived to an enormous amount of hype in 1999 before leaving people kind of cold. But don't worry, it's not The Phantom Menace. Now, I've chosen <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide yeah. Shut, which I've always really liked. Um, I think there are very valid critiques of this film. I think arguably Kubrick didn't find the best visual expression for the orgy sequence, for instance. I think Nicole Kidman's so good early on in the film, it's kind of a shame when she disappears in the middle. But I think a lot of the things people have identified as a problem with Eyes Wide Shut are things that are done very purposefully. So some people have highlighted the fact that a lot of the dialogue seems very banal, for instance. And it's true, but I think there are things that are done to such an extent. So characters who repeat things that somebody else just said to them, for instance. But it has to be deliberate. I think he was trying to generate a very specific feeling here. You know, dream dreamlike is the word a lot of people have used. Um and I think everything that he does kind of helps to bolster that. I think it's a film you have to kind of give yourself over to. If you're able to do so, it takes on this kind of hypnotic quality, almost a nightmarish one. Um, I mean, I can understand why people throw around words like dated to discuss some of the sexual stuff. But I think Kubrick, I think he was, he probably felt that some of the ideas he was addressing had a kind of perennial relevance. Because um, I think that must have been why he updated the original story from 1925 to the 1990s. Because he'd done period set dramas before. Presumably he could have done so again if he'd really wanted to. Um, but it's just a really interesting case study as well in terms of a film whose reputation preceded it. You know, this thing about the Cruz Kidman relationship that a lot of the marketing focused on, this insanely lengthy shooting schedule, some casting changes, Kubrick's death, of course. And I, I, the decision to replicate New York on a standing set in London. Yeah, exactly. And again, that kind of augments this kind of weird disconnect from reality in, in a weird sort of way. And I think some of those wider things maybe had a material effect on the way the film was talked about upon release. Um, but I kind of like the way the film confronts that too. Like it opens with a seven second shot of a naked Nicole Kidman in front of a mirror. It's kind of like, right, here's what you were promised with the marketing, etc. Now let's move on. And, uh, yeah, I've always loved this film. I think Cruise is very good, too. It's a nice bit of counterintuitive casting, you know. Put the biggest, most virile film star of the time as this buttoned-down doctor who can't get laid, you know. And I think he kind of rises to the challenge. I think there are scenes here where he's very, very good. So, yeah, Eyes Wide Shut is my pick. Yeah. It was around the time Cruise was sort of, like, uh, recruiting auteurs to work with him, where he was doing mm. stuff like he was working with John Woo on Mission Impossible 2, Brian De Palma on Mission Impossible, and even, like, Kubrick here as well, which is something that he... Cruise willed into happening, which is a remarkable part of his sort of star persona at this point in time. Yeah, and Magnolia is another 1999 film, isn't it? And he's brilliant in that. So it's kind of a shame that he ultimately, as much as I love the Mission Impossible films these days that he does, I would like him to take more risks and and do some weirder stuff. But I think his career has gone a different way, hasn't it? So Brian, of those films, what do you think is the best 1999 movie? The Iron Giant. Hands down, the Iron Giant, 100%. Um, I think it's gorgeous. I think it's beautiful. I think the animation is incredible. I think what Brad Bird did with that story, I think, was beautiful. That, I mean, I think what he described it as was, uh, what if it was a gun, but a gun that had a soul and then decided it didn't want to be a gun anymore? I mean, Jesus Christ, that's so profound like, and beautiful, I think. Um, 
I do will say though I have a soft spot for the insider I, just because it's Michael Mann and I think it's probably Russell Crowe's best performance outside of LA Confidential um, but no they are enjoyed I, I suspect there are people here who would agree that it may be Mann's best film perhaps no no okay fine just on your heat episode I hope you're not looking at me there I may have been looking, looking at you here. Oh. <laughs> Look, yeah, to my soul. Um, yes. Wait, Darren, have you not seen Heat? It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. You should check it out. It's, it's, I hear it's like the 124th best movie of all time. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> Jesus. The Insider was the movie that you saw instead of... What was it? Oh, was it a, no. Jackass or Crossroads? Seriously? Instead of Superstar? Possibly instead of Superstar, yes. Yeah. Wait, hang on a sec. You had a choice between Crossroads and The Insider, and you picked Crossroads. No, I picked The Insider. I was right. the person who got I into Crossroads. Okay, right. Okay. Okay. This was a foundational moment for myself and Andrew's friendship. Uh, all right. And then finally, really, bitch. Alex. Yeah, no, I had a look at the list from 1999, and there are a lot of them that are, that, that are good, and a lot of them kind of represent like, oh, yeah, you know, Spike Jones coming into his own. Oh, David Fincher's finally doing something, you know, more interesting than what he was doing before. That George Lucas kid is one to watch. Yeah, and then I realized, like, fundamentally, though, there's kind of, like, before The Matrix and then after The Matrix. So it's, it's kind of got to be The Matrix for me. I did a podcast um, with yourselves, actually, about talking about how much sort of influence The Matrix was on me personally. This was the, the first film that I kind of realized, like, what's going on behind the camera? Like, who are these guys? How do they get these kind of shots? But watching it again for the, the podcast does make me kind of think, like, it is iconic in a way I think a lot of the films that on this list aren't and and won't really hold up in the same way I mean it's sort of it's they steal so much and it's not that original in so many ways but the way they put it all together is just incredible because it's so entertaining and it's so kind of it, it's it just works it's cohesive every element You're, you don't get too deep into anything like the sequels kind of did and and it just pings along and then by the time you're at the end it's just it's incredible. So yeah, for me, it's The Matrix. And it's notable as one of the 299 movies that hasn't had a massive fall-off. It's only one place down from its high ever. It's at 17 now. Um, the other one being Fight Club. Uh, American Beauty has come a long way from its place as the second greatest movie of all time. Got to, <laughs> <laughs> got to number two. Whoa. Um, Why is that? IMDb. <laughs> yeah. Also, quick shout out to Duke Kaboom, who is is definitely having a moment now, but was also having a, a moment in 1999. And we're getting another Matrix movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that that happened after. Uh, sorry, after we recorded the episode. But before we released. Before we released. This it. is why planning is bad. Yeah, yeah, it's the danger of banking episodes. Uh, um, because apparently one of us didn't want to spend any more time with the other. It was me. We didn't want to spend any time with you. Uh, no. Um, I do remember myself and Grace though talking about like how great it would be in the next John Wick if like Carry On Mass showed up and like yeah. was his partner, and then immediately after that they announced the Matrix Four. Or something. Yeah, yeah, even better. You're kind of getting. Yeah. It. Although it's really strange that Lawrence Fishburne's missing. Mm. But we'll see how that goes. But Bernice. He's also a John Wick. He is indeed. That's right. Yeah. Bernice, sorry, and maybe. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Bernice. Live from Buenos Aires. Damas y caballeros. Of the 99 films that, are, that have ever been on the list, which one would be your pick as the best? Um, well, 
two sort of obvious, obvious ones that get a lot of love, Fight Club and Matrix, both absolutely blew my mind. Um, saw them on Wednesday afternoons in Yuri Cinema in the year when I was unemployed. So I have a lot of affection because the cinema was empty and I could pretend it was my own private screening room. Aww. But the film I'm going to actually pick, <laughs> it's okay, I have a job now. <laughs> <laughs> or I did this evening, um, is The Blair Witch Project um, because uh, I, uh, I love horror and... Um, it's a film that it really, it, it's probably the most influential horror film of that decade. Um, famously, it was made for only $40,000, but had a budgeting campaign very cleverly of many, many, many thousands more dollar, dollars than that. It was one of the first horror films to use the internet in a very intelligent way as a marketing tool. And actually, I, I think it still holds up as, as a genuinely scary film. And I still remember very well seeing it in that same cinema, um, <laughs> with my dull money, um, and, and, and genuinely a free son in the audience of a type that I've seldom experienced at a horror film. So it might look a bit, a bit old hat, it might necess- it, because it's a fine footage film and there were so many other fine footage films that followed in its wake, um, it might seem a bit old hat and a bit predictable and people weeping into you know, video cameras what's not coming out their nose is no longer original. But um, for me, it has to be Blair Witch because it really was at the time. And um, the guys who did it um, didn't, unfortunately, Myrick and Sanchez didn't really go on to great things afterwards. They had a few solid films, but all credit to them. I think it's a really, really, uh, a really influential and a very a genuinely good, intelligent film. And one of those horror movies that was lucky enough to position itself in the top 250 and have its sequel in the bottom 100 as well. Oh, yes. Book of Shadows. And actually the, the new one, um, which is... Oh, the Adam Wingard one, isn't it? Unfortunately, I mean, Adam Wingard, a lot of respect for him, but for me, one bit set in a tunnel aside because yeah. I'm claustrophobic, um, which really, so it really disturbed me. It, it, it just wasn't that great. So I think it stands in, in the Blair Witch franchise, if you might characterize it as that, still is by far the best. And, and Jess? So for me, it was actually Tarzan. I just think it's kind of a darker Disney film. You have that kind of opening scene where his family, sorry, spoiler zone, <laughs> are killed. And I think it's just, it's very emotional. And I think you're kind of, you're really drawn into the character of Tarzan and his struggles between what it means to be human, what it means to be a person, and also that kind of affinity he has towards animals and that care that he has, I think, is, is got across in a really interesting way. And I just think the songs in it are fantastic and really, really kind of moving. So, yeah. Phil Collins is Oscar, right? Yeah, yeah. What a world. (laughs) (laughs) We have have a very happy end of the table. We have two different perspectives on Phil Collins. (laughs) Hot takes. I can feel it in the air tonight. Oh, Uh, Lord. Jay, it may be time for you to take me home. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fine. Uh, Luke, <laughs> um, I would also pick the Blair Witch Project. Um, I, I like I love the Matrix and and some of the other films from '99 on this list. But when you look at the top 250 as a whole, so many of the films on this list are made by you know some of the great names in cinema history, like real geniuses, um, or they have and or they have massive budgets. They have the backing of maybe in their in the time that they were made like the the powerful studio systems they might have iconic actors and it's just really impressive to me that a film with with none of those things with only just a very simple idea and kind of a, a kind of a can do attitude to, to to making the the film that they're looking to make can go toe to toe with the other films uh, on that list in that way and i i definitely agree that 
for all that similar films to it have kind of made the found footage thing a very kind of unflattering uh, thing to do, it still holds up really, really well. It's still really terrifying and, and really effective. And it, because of the way that it's made, you still you, you maintain that connection with, with, with the characters in it because like the, the fact that it's so ramshackly put together works in its favor because it obviously isn't a real it's not a documentary <laughs> <laughs> but, but but it still maintains that kind of feeling of, of, of <laughs> you mean the sci-fi uh, documentary light <laughs> so just just the fact that it can can do that so well uh, in line with the other films that it's alongside that's that's what makes it really stand out to me Perfect. And Phil? Yes. What would be your... <laughs> would you complete the question, please? Now, what would be your choice of the 1999 films featured on the list? Um, well, I was looking at the list and it came down to two. You know I'm a big Michael Mann fan. I was really tempted to go for The Insider. It is Russell Crowe's finest hour. And there are so many other reasons to love it. But in the end, I kind of have to go with my gut and my heart. And uh, it's Magnolia. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is for my money uh, America's greatest living filmmaker and he's made for my money uh, four masterpieces this is the first and when Roger Reber described cinema as an empathy machine I think this might be something he would have appreciated because across three hours we get to see a very broad swathe of characters go through bad days, good days, possibly even their last day and all tied together in ways that uh, are literally very bare bones but in a greater spiritual sense they're more united than they can ever appreciate and it's all held together by Anderson's vision uh, just how you can actually he finds a way to tie them all together even though there really isn't much reason to. They're all just having a day. And for most of them, it's potentially the worst day of their lives. Uh, but when they come to that scene about two-thirds of the way in, when everybody starts singing to Amy Mann's Wise Up, um, that's, that to me is what cinema is for. It's about creating a, kind of, a moment where you can feel these people's anguish and pain. And... Uh, it floors me every time I see it. I adore Magnolia. Perfect. And Richard? Um, I want to say Fight Club. I really do. Uh, I love Fincher. I love that film's direction, the score, all of it. But it, seem, it feels so culturally tainted that I just I can't in good conscience say it. Uh, so I'll say Boys Don't Cry instead. Uh, Kimberly Pierce's probably single, unambiguously good film. Uh, Carrie was not, not a good thing to exist. Um... It still shocks me that film was made 20 years ago, more? Yeah, 20 years ago at this point. Um, it feels like you can make that now and it would still feel as raw and unexpected as it did then. Um, I think it's, it's, a real, it's a severe gut punch of a film. And yeah, probably do Boys Don't Cry. Fight Club, but Boys Don't Cry. I like that. That's, that's a nice combination there. And Niall? Oh, yeah. I was going to pick Magnolia, but I think Phil put it too perfectly. So now I would feel foolish. <laughs> So instead, since I've learned I'm a literal baby tonight, I will talk about the only film I remember seeing that year, which was Toy Story 2. Which, as a four-year-old, the intro of that may be the most mind-blowing thing you could see. As such a 
technological leap even from the first, which at the point I'd broken the VHS from watching it too much. And just the theme now that really sticks with me is this idea of uh, Woody having to face choosing a very safe future to a more interesting, uncertain one. I think it's still very strong and the series is still great. I would argue Toy Story 2 is probably my favorite Toy Story film, perhaps controversial. I don't think any no, of them are I'll wrong. I agree. <laughs> Definitely. All right then, so Chris. Oh, I just say um, Toy Story 2, great film. I think it's <laughs> good. Um, for me, it has to be being John Malkovich. I, for me, that film at that time was just such, like, obviously, The Matrix was another one, but I just, it was when I, when I came across it, probably a couple of years later, like, it was, I'd seen nothing like it before, and um, I just found it so incredibly funny, and also quite sad, melancholic, and it was, it was, it's a real gateway film for me into the works of, like, everybody else involved in the film, like, Spike Jones, like, Charlie Kaufman, like, John Malkovich, even. Um, and seeing people who were familiar to me playing, like, Cameron Diaz was... Yeah, Cameron Diaz passed the unrecognizable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just, I just, it really, it really, mm. I loved it, loved every minute of it. I thought it was bonkers crazy, and realized that like that was the type of film I loved and followed everyone involved since and rarely been disappointed and Jay um, I could probably pitch for Magnolia as I have done before uh, I'll steal a microphone um, but I'm actually going to change it up a little bit I'm going to go for the straight story uh, David Lynch's uh, one Surely. of only uh, three Lynch films to have made the 250, which is striking. Yeah. Um, and an odd one to make it in some ways, because it's, it's <laughs> not... Um, like, it doesn't come up in Lynch fans' kind of... Uh, it's the anti-Lynch Lynch film. Yeah, it, it's also story. the hipster kind of Lynch film. I like the Forbes cool element to it. The I G-rated saw, Disney Lynch film. Right. Uh, I saw it in the cinema come out, and it really moved me in weird ways, because it's... It, but I didn't know what that meant when I saw it in 99, which was 20 years ago. Um, I, I revisited it a good few years ago, but not quite enough, and I'll revisit it again. But it's it's a film about kind of uh, going back to go forward and finding kind of meaning in the fact that you're desperately terrible at your life when you're younger, but you can maybe fix something in a very tiny way and very familial way. It's a really interesting film. And there was, I was reading Ebert's uh, review of it today and talking about like you're waiting for your shoe to drop the, the David Lynch bit, yeah, which is right. the, you know, something crazy is going to happen and it's going to invert the film. And, but it's none of that. It's not at all that. And Richard Farnsworth, who was incredible in the lead, uh, just kind of drifts down a couple of hundred miles to see his brother, who he's heard had a stroke. And it, I, I find it really remarkable and really moving and really smart kind of idea about aging. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton's film Lucky kind of feels like kind of a piece yeah. with it. Um, Starring Lynch, actually. Yeah, yeah, Lynch yeah. pops up in it. Directed uh, by John Carroll Lynch, isn't it? And yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Lynch, which is they, the opposite that you would expect. They, they, <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, if it, but it feels like a companion piece. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways. And like... 
Stray Stories, it's it's not particularly well seen. Like most people haven't seen it. Uh, most and even Lynch fans don't particularly bother with it. Uh, it's one of those kind of weird little outliers. Um, but I think it was beloved at the time. It, it's one of those things you think nobody loved it. People did yeah. like it. People was hugely respected at the time it came out. We just didn't quite land in the way that perhaps it wasn't what you expected. No, I, I think that's probably it. Like, I I adored it and I still adore it. And like, there's probably films I love more in some ways, but it it got to me in very strange ways. And I, you know, I'll always go to back for that. It probably speaks a lot to Lynch that he can make so many movies that aren't Lynchian. Yeah. yeah. If he wanted to do. Yeah. 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 Oh, that, very that, much so. That, I, I, like, um, because we talk about Nolan and we kind of like complain that he he can't not do it uh, <laughs> he, he, that he has to do that nolan yeah. thing yeah. and uh, one strictly linear film in his entire now, film now, that, now, he now that he's allowed like like he's just gonna do it forever we await that yeah <laughs> waiting for the christopher nolan rom-com i think here at this table <laughs> interstellar Rom? was the christopher nolan rom-com it was about love all along do you not remember <laughs> it's a force like gravity luke if i remember correctly Strongest um, force in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> Scientifically proven, apparently. Um, but uh, Ronan, what about yourself? I think we're we're at the point where twenty years distance is enough that there are a lot of films in this list that I really like quite a bit. But uh, it it always seems when you have that kind of distance that whatever I've seen most recently <laughs> tends to chime best with me. So of of the ones I love, that is. And I recently saw on the big screen again the Lighthouse, uh, Man on the Moon, which is. A, an amazing film I think Jim Carrey gives such an incredible performance it's so committed and you know I have to say I'm coming from a position where I have no particular interest in Andy Kaufman necessarily but it is it's it's very very committed it's very strange I think Milos Forman is very well remembered of course for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, for Amadeus yeah. um, but this film really stands out to me as something very strange and different and I respect it a great deal for that seeing it again recently with the crowd it engages people in a really weird way they kind of laugh awkwardly at it if you know what I mean that they're they're a bit all over the place with it in the way that Andy Kaufman's comedy was and I think it's um, it's fantastically engaging in that it goes into weird aspects of strange comedy and deep awkward drama and Kerry is remarkable and he he has the power to be an incredible performer at times and this is maybe his finest hour for me i really really like that one i, I would agree with that i think Kerry's a fantastic dramatic performer when he gets the material and the way comedians can be mm. was I, it this year it, that the duck came out about um, i think it was the last year the, the yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was a fascinating watch yeah yeah so is anybody watching that uh, Michelle Gondry TV show? With, no. Uh, oh. which is... <laughs> no? Okay. No, okay. Well, we're getting people shaking heads here. Um, I've been told to drop it by the producer. <laughs> I will kill you. Michelle yeah. uh, uh, show? Or? Yeah. Um, Darren is in character. But, <laughs> as himself. But yeah. Gra- Grace, um, what would be your pick from 1999? Um, mine is probably a toss-up between The Matrix and The Blair Witch Project, both of which I love dearly for very different reasons. Um, I'd probably pick the Blair Witch Project out of the two because I think it's, well, I don't know, it's, it's, the appeal has been very eloquently summed up by others before me, but I just think it really holds up. It's such a good 
horror movie. And the thing that I love most about it, especially because I've rewatched it a couple of times recently, is that it doesn't explain anything, which is the thing that annoys me yes. most in horror movies when there's a third act exposition dump, like they think you were too stupid to understand what was going on. I just wish more movies could follow its template of just like letting you decide whatever you think is going on and enjoying the journey and the atmosphere and getting caught up in it. And letting the weirdness sort of become its own thing. Like yeah, like just be weird. Yeah. You don't need to read us the whole recipe book. We don't care. Yeah. Well, there, we have a sequel that does that, but don't watch that. Please <coughs> yeah. don't watch that. Yeah. No. Like The Exorcist. Yes, with yeah. Pazuzu. They did the same thing, where yeah. they explain everything. Yeah. And somehow that's not a good model for horror sequels. Who would have thought it? What? <laughs> um, all right then, and Babu, from those 1999 films, which would be your personal choice? Uh, well, I think it would be a, a toss-up between the, the Matrix and uh, Fight Club. And the reason being, really, I, I think... The thing about the Matrix is cinema is made for spectacular, you know, and this is why something like the Blair Witch Project, probably like a bit like cartoons, I wouldn't bother with because a tiny budget. It's not really. I didn't think it was particularly cinematic. Uh, Could you speak loud? Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Darren. Like, oh, come on. <laughs> He's literally showing that. <laughs> the power of audio rather than two. Uh, yeah. We always have this problem, actually. Every time we do a, uh, a podcast, he's always going... Do you think you know what the gesture means by now? I can't be bothered. We have a low voice. Low voice. <laughs> Don't whisper and say low voice. <laughs> I'll start again, then. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'll go... OK, I'll cut it short. Fight Club. I'll go for Fight Club. Yeah. That was a sharp turn. No, I, I think so, Fight Club, because um, I think 20 years later, it's still very relevant, even now. It talks about things like masculinity and people being trapped in jobs that they don't enjoy, and, and I think that's still very relevant now. You know, and It's certainly a film that had a very interesting afterlife. Um, yeah, I, th- I was one of the people that, um, I think at the time of release, it wasn't a big hit, and then it's... Yeah. Become... Which is interesting because it arrived on the list almost immediately because, of course, it did. Uh-huh. Uh, but it arrived within a week of release on the list despite bombing at the box office. Yeah. Well, I think it was made for around $60 million and it made about 100 I, th- I think some people at the table are agreeing with that assessment. Or sort of a... it's, a, it's an interesting film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think all of us, each of us gets different things from films and how it resonates with us. Um, and that, for me, I think it resonates with me. And I think it resonates with a lot of people when you think about the problems that society is having in general now. Um, and I think that's why it relates to people. I liked it. And I think also along with The Matrix, it's, it, um, you know, we went through the 80s where, I mean, if you're talking about masculinity, uh, you know, with the Schwarzenegger Stallone. The sort of, of post-Vietnam, hard-body, Reagan-era exactly. sort of masculine fetishism. Yeah. And then these guys with particularly... You know, uh, well, you had the Keanu Reeves with the Matrix reinventing the idea of masculinity on film by being sort of like aerodynamic, exactly, and, and skinny and vulnerable in a and way. Penetrating. That... <laughs> I, th- I, I think we oh, talked yeah. a lot about that on the we, we did. Matrix. Yes. We yeah. the Matrix. Tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, and I think uh, Brad Pitt, uh, you know, in terms of his slim physique, that seems to be the one that people look to achieve now. Twenty years later, we won't go there. <laughs> and uh, continuing the two fifties long trend of discussing male bodies in film, uh, but Giovanna, what would be your pick from the nineteen ninety nine films on the list? Uh, it would be a film with a different um, um, 
kind of male figures. It would be Pedro Almodovar's uh, All About My Mother, because uh, the story is uh, really weird and wonderful because it's about uh, this uh, single mother who, after the death of uh, her son, goes uh, to look for uh, um, uh, his father, who in the meantime has become a transvestite prostitute who is also HIV positive, and in the meantime he has gotten a nun pregnant and uh, he has given uh, her uh, AIDS. So, I mean, this kind of story is not uh, very common, but it's not just, <laughs> <laughs> it's not just about that. It's, uh, it's also because it's a film about uh, uh, acting and about cinema. In fact, uh, at the beginning, the protagonist is a nurse and uh, she's participating in these um, videos uh, that are um, about um, uh, basically um, doctors telling uh, the family of uh, people that uh, they should be uh, donating the organs and uh, a little while later she has to uh, do that for real for uh, her son who is uh, in a coma and uh, she needs to decide to to donate his organ but uh, not only that I mean at the beginning herself and her son are watching all about Eve and uh, he the son is writing an essay um, uh, entitled All About My Mother that is uh, inspired by the, um, uh, by the film and also they uh, watch a play b- uh, shortly before he dies they watch a, the- a theatrical uh, uh, version of uh, a streetcar named Desire that is particularly relevant to the life of the protagonist because she was uh, playing Stella uh, yeah, as a um, young girl uh, together with uh, um, uh, her son's father who was playing Stanley and um, Later on in the film, by a twist of faith, she uh, finds herself substituting a lead actress in the role of Stella. And so basically there is another reference to um, uh, All About Eve. So basically there are all these uh, references to cinema and acting, even in the fact that uh, um, most of the male characters uh, that uh, appear are transvestites. And, uh, um, and also in the fact that uh, basically um, there is uh, all this uh, acting in the way people are lying, people are betraying each other in the film. But uh, uh, the film in general is very good, it's very enjoyable, it's uh, uh, full of uh, hope, even if um, uh, it's uh, very sad at some stage. So I think uh, it uh, well deserves to be on the list. Perfect. And Joe, from those 99 films, which would be your personal pick? Um, Keep in mind, no pressure, but nobody has said The Phantom Menace yet. (laughs) Oh, thank God. Uh, Well, in that case, uh, Three Kings is my favourite. God, I just love this film. Um, The circumstance under which I saw it was um, a thing called Cinema Day, which is these distributors would all just show like four press screenings in a row. And you didn't know what order they'd be in. And I remember Sweet Home Alabama was one of them. And the Jennifer Lopez film Enough was one of them. And um, that's a really bad film. And <laughs> I quite enjoyed Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, oh really? No, no, it's actually no. one of the worst films I've ever seen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was on an airplane, I might add. Fair enough. Reese Witherspoon, right? That's yeah. right. Uh, but so Three Kings is my favorite kind of films in that it's... It's substantial and you know that the director is trying to say something and it's relevant, still relevant now actually, about uh, people being promised a lot by the American administration and then betrayed by them. Um, But it's also a really fun 
action comedy like Kelly's Heroes, except with George Clooney in it. And it's got a nice big budget. And then it's got in the middle of it this really incredible torture scene with Mark Wahlberg being tortured and the local torturer telling the effect that the conflicts had on him and it's really good not just because Mark Wahlberg is being tortured in it <laughs> I, I just thought it was an excellent film and it's it's dazzlingly entertaining but it's also got big ambitions of stuff to say about the American foreign policy that's still relevant now yeah. I actually remember seeing that movie actually which is quite of the 99 films I remember watching that actually at the time which is quite uh, quite striking and finally the fourth question which is so of those great 1999 movies we listed, and I'm sure you can remember all of them, um, what 1999 movie do you have a soft spot for that didn't make the list and you think is deserving of a place um, on it? And just so Andy... Well, I'm going to go with uh, Anthony Minghella's The Talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, I think this is a film that's aged really, really well. I think there's some cracking performances in it. I think Patricia Highsmith's novel and Minghella's screenplay are both absolutely astonishing. I don't believe it's ever been in the top 250. I mean, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure the rating isn't, was never quite high enough, which has always confused me because I don't really know many people who don't like this film. I think plenty of people think it's fine, but I think it's really, really compelling. I think it's just such an engaging movie. I think Seymour Hoffman, Damon Paltrow, Jude Law, Kate Blanchett, I mean, it's got a cracking cast. Uh, it's so rewatchable, um, and it's just so beautifully shot. I mean, it's obviously shot with such great attention to detail. Um, I think the um, I think there's just so much to recommend about this film. Um, it's got such a, a, a modern sensibility as well, as well as being this really kind of old... <laughs> so it's got such an old feel to it. Like, it could be a Daphne du Maurier sort of story. It is, yeah. and it's aged remarkably well. I mean, its legacy is still sort of being discussed. I mean, there are other, there's the other Ripley films as well, but there's even things like... Is there a TV series coming as well, I think? Oh, you might be right, yeah. I mean, it is the sort of world you'd want to spend a lot of time in. I mean, this, this n- never gets old just watching rich people be mean to each other. <laughs> Um, yes, that, um, as we approach Oscar season, I suspect this may become yes. a recurring trend. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a great film. Yeah. So, Tony, what 1999 film that hasn't been on the list already think do you think deserves a place? I've decided to go really lowbrow with this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh, and I, on your list, I couldn't see Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me. Surprisingly. Controversially, even one might say, right? Because I think that's brilliant, and I <laughs> that podcast I mentioned before, podcast like it's nineteen ninety nine, which I do recommend. But those guys had a really sort of um, let's shall we say two thousand and nineteen take on the spy who shagged me, which I completely understand and I respect. And it was looking at it from our perspective now, twenty years on, at a lot of the jokes and a lot of the humour, which hasn't all dated well. Let's be honest, but... It features a character right. named Fat Bastard. Um. Fat Bastard, yeah. Um, but, however, uh, I I still find this film wonderfully funny. I think that it, it, it the first Austin Powers, which it obviously had a lot of, you know... Um, it was it was obviously taking off a lot of the James Bond series and like the 60s spy pastiches. But The Spy Who Shagged Me obviously blends that up with a lot more scatological gags a lot more toilet humor uh, a lot more kind of um very sort of very in your face kind of kind of comedy but it also does have a lot of allusions to you know don't, like i say the james to bond justify series yourself tony you don't have to argue that it's secret oh, i do you don't i do a little bit because 
It's <laughs> you're only going it's second. Not... The rest of the table is just going to judge you for it. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But it does actually have a lot of good stuff in there. It's calling back on. But I, I just think that a lot of the jokes in there are just absolute gold. And and I, I, comedy is always very subjective. But and actually, and this this is probably going to sound ridiculous because I think most people would think I'm crazy for this. But I my favorite Austin Powers movie is Goldmember. What? Gen- <laughs> genuinely, genuinely, that is the one that makes me laugh the most, honestly. And I don't I don't <clears throat> quite know why. Um, but maybe it's Michael Caine in there. I don't know. But uh, I think I think Spy Who Shagged Me is the best one of the three. Actually, the best one. And I and I'm really sad that it kind of doesn't. It hasn't. It hasn't lingered as much as it should have done because at the time everyone went wild for this film. It was it was crazy big, and it was the, it was the one thing at school and at sixth form. I was in sixth form at the time that we were just quoting, you know, verbatim all the time. Um, so I, I I am a little bit ashamed, but I do love it. You have, <laughs> you have nothing to be ashamed of, Tony. Nothing to be ashamed of at all. It was either that or Bowfinger. <clears throat> that's, that's my other. Bowfinger wasn't a bad choice. Bowfinger is brilliant. So, yeah, I'd recommend that one as well. But, yes, yeah, Bowfinger. Uh, and Carl, follow that. Right. Well, I feel a bit ashamed for a slightly different reason because I'm uh, I'm going off UK release dates here, guys, because this will be the only chance I ever get to talk about Jackie Chan's Who Am I on a podcast, right? So okay. this, this is a film about an intelligence operative who develops amnesia after falling from a helicopter and subsequently finds himself being chased by deadly agents but doesn't know why. And... Yeah, so this was a Hong Kong film, but it was released in a lot of countries in 99. Uh, this was one of my entry points into Jackie Chan's work. And he, I think he's the, great, the greatest action star as far as I'm concerned. Um, so this is roughly the same times he's doing stuff like Rush Hour to kind of establish himself in America. Um, and Who Am I is a multinational film, so you can sort of understand it as that, this attempt to raise his profile internationally. So it's a film where they spend quite a bit of time in South Africa and the Netherlands and some other places too. And in the version I saw it in on DVD, um, it's not as polished as some of his other films of that period. You know, some of the dubbing is unintentionally bad and some of the intentional attempts at comedy fall flat. So early on in the film, there's this whole sequence with Chan interacting with an African tribe that just kind of doesn't go anywhere, takes too much time. But when it gets going, which is about three quarters of an hour in, you get to the action. It's just one great set piece after another. So I think Chan was approaching 45 by this point, but... This was still a time when he could do very different things very well in his fight sequences. So you get these very intricate set pieces where, you know, it's all about the way he manipulates the surroundings. So there's a scene where he has a fight in a Dutch market and he ends up wearing clogs, for instance, which is just brilliant. Um, but he's still doing big breathtaking stunts at this point, too. So towards the end of the film, he has to slide down the side of this enormous kind of skyscraper building because it's the only way he can escape out of a, a situation. It's just a jaw-dropping thing to behold. Um, now, I was always more interested in the kind of ha- the hand-to-hand stuff, the smaller scenes, but I think Chan in the 90s, he was kind of in this sweet spot where he's just amazingly good in both modes. So, yeah, Jackie Chan's Who Am I is my pick. Um, so, Brian, what's your 99 movie? Um, well, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, there's not... Oh, yeah. Know, I'm trying to even go through it. But, I mean, I will say that... Um, the Spy Who Shagged Me. It is... No, I mean, no, but I, I know that was kind of thrown in as a laugh, but, like, the Austin, those Austin Power movies, they're... I think they hold up. Like I, I think they, I, I definitely have a soft spot for them. They're stupid. They're so stupid. But I kind of love how stupid they are. That they're really just very, very fun. And just the idea of like Mike Myers just completely giving, actually giving a crap and actually doing something that he 
you know, is clearly good at and not trying to, I don't know, muck up in Glorious Bastards with that weird George Sanders accent of his. Like, what was that? Like, um, what about Goldmember? I like Goldmember for the song. I think that Beyonce song was fantastic. It's very, very good. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Goldmember is Carl's favorite Austin Powers It's the best song about Auschwitz. Which is a wide open category. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a, that is a deep list. That yeah. is a deep list. Work it out. Break it down. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, I'm, yeah, is, is, is Goldmember the Tree Colors White? Austin Powers. Of the Austin Powers. After all, Tree Colors. I think so. Yeah. No, but I will say that I, I, I have. I, can't defend it with any kind of real intellectual depth other than to say that I just every time I put it, every time I see it I laugh I laugh my ass off it's like airplane like it's oh yeah you like I just can't yeah. stop laughing at it like even though I've seen it a hundred times it's the most base dumbest jokes ever like but you're still finding it absolutely hilarious so yeah spy you shagged me 100% perfect yeah Alex well I was actually having to do a bit of research for this but I went and got my old DVD of Takeshi Miyake's audition and was like, here we go, time to watch this again and then talk about it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like therapy. Yeah, um, but then I realized Galaxy Quest came out in 1999. <laughs> and is, is fundamentally a, a better film in, in almost every sense. Um, I like the qualification. What, what's the almost? What doesn't Galaxy no, that's Quest it. have? Like I was thinking about it, and I actually was thinking like if, if aliens were to discover, you know, the remnants of our like husk world thousands of years from now, if Galaxy Quest was the only thing left, I, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> it's as it, long as you understand, Tim Allen's not the nicest person. No, I like, I'm fine with that. Fully, I like well, he, I mean, he is playing William Shatner. To be fair, who again, not the nicest person. Yeah. But I think that's part of it. I think part of the like initial appeal. And this, of this film is that Star Trek is an incredible series and I'm a huge fan and it, it's it's but it's sort of this idea of us as a better people and as a going out into the world and all the like qualities there but none of the negative things and extending the, all the good aspects of, of humanity into the, the galaxy but Galaxy Quest sort of recognizes no it's not that because even our imaginations of that have a white guy taking off his shirt and you know doing terrible things out in the middle so Galaxy Quest takes that and flips it and, and says we're not perfect like Justin Bieber is going to be on the first space tourism flight where fundamentally <laughs> kind of bad in many ways but <laughs> a lot of things could go wrong don't worry <laughs> he can but play the... basketball he can play the drums is but... there anything he can do but that's what I mean. This is the, the Justin Bieber in, into space movie. This is kind of much more like reflective of us as a, a humanity than, than Star Trek is, I think. And then it's full. It's and full now of the like, internet is mad at us. Thank you, Alex. No, I'm, 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 no this is a very 2019 choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I adore incredible. it. I have to admit yeah. yeah. I love it. Absolutely. You screwed so, me on this one. Yeah. You can also say it now. No, I want to be cool. Um, yeah, no, it's an incredible film. And I, I would highly, highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. Because I actually think it's it's probably the best Star Trek film as well as, as, as being just an incredible film. And now the internet is very angry at us. Yeah. My William, job here is done. Then, yeah. William Morgan Shepard, by the way. Um, <laughs> Died in 2019. Aww. Yeah. Uh, from Star Trek 6. And from and, Star Trek The Next Generation, the guy who put himself in Data's brain. And he was the voice of the, um, the advisor on 
for, for any nerds who... Well, it's only nerds who are listening at this point. Not after they, my Star they, Trek comments. No, they, they, just, they just press pause. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're going to rage listen now. Um, uh, he, he also did the voice for uh, Civilization V. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, and is the and, father of Mark Shepard as well. Oh, wow. In case oh, we're outing ourselves ooh. as massive nerds here, who's known as uh, Satan in uh, Supernatural, among other things. Get I know people are, people, people are really surprised by this. But uh, Bernice, what would be your pick from 1999? Well, my mind's still blown from that last revelation. It's okay, it was empty. Um, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it was escalated quickly. Um, the film I pick is a comedy, which was uh, completely panned at the time, completely overlooked, which I now think stands up as one of the best comedies of the past 20 years, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Yes. Which is superb. It's about, for those who haven't seen it, it is a mockumentary, um, vaguely inspired, I think, by the likes of the 70s beauty pageant film Smile, um, which is set in a small Minnesotan town called Mount Rose. I can't do the accent, unfortunately, because I'm from South Armagh, which is the Minnesota, <laughs> the Minnesota of Northern Ireland. Um, <laughs> But more arm stumps. But that's for another podcast. Um, uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous just holds up so well. It's 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 incredibly acidic. It has a superb cast. It has Alice and Janney in. I mean, there's a lot of funny Alice and Janney performances, but her bit in Drop Dead Gorgeous is brilliant. She's a friend of the main character's mother. The main character is played by young Kirsten Dunst, who is just absolutely fantastic yeah. and very likable. And had a great 99 between that and uh, was it the Virgin Suicides. I think it was the Virgin Suicides. Yeah, yeah. Um, she, and she's very very funny. Um, the great Alan Bur- or Barkin. I get mixed up with The Exorcist. The great Alan Barkin is in it. Spends much of the film with a beer can uh, welded to her hand. <laughs> because there's been a trailer explosion. Um, Denise Richards, Denise Richards yeah. is funny Denise in this film. Yeah. Kirstie Alley, maybe her last good comic performance. It's just, it holds up really well. It's about murder, it's about rivalry, um, it's about small town bigotry, um, and it's, uh, there's maybe a few bits which by 2019 standards seem a bit, a bit um, slightly offensive, I would say. But for me, I, I, I'm willing to roll with it. I just think it's, it's fantastic. And it's one of those films... It only ever seems to show at about half twelve in the mor- in the night where, when you're about to go to bed and it's playing. And in the drop-dead hours of the in morning. In the drop-dead hours <laughs> in the morning and it's a film I'm always going to stay and watch. So, yeah, drop-dead gorgeous. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that ends the table okay. <laughs> um, and Jess, what will be your choice? So my choice was 10 Things I Hate About You. I think you can never go wrong with Shakespeare. It's always going to kind of have that lasting power. I think it has a lot to say about being a teenager. It shows it in a very empathetic light. There's a lot about how your reputation can precede you and how that can kind of get built. I think there's a lot of good things about consent in there and how that can kind of get skewed and how that can be weaponized against women. Julia Stiles is fantastic in it. I think we didn't see enough from her in the 90s and it's nice to see her back on, you know, kind of Riviera. She's and Hustlers actually as well, you know, she's kind of coming back to the fore, which is great to see. It's just fun. It's got a great soundtrack, really fun performances. It's kind of playful, but has a lot to say. I think it's, it's a great film. Cool. It's very sad as well. Like, like, like it really, really got me. Like, mm. um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of, I think, um, it, 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 like, I, 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 I love a movie like that. And sorry, I think it was said on the, on the 
this before, mm. that if, if, if a movie can make me laugh and cry, yeah. then... And you're in the sweet spot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's worth noting yeah. that it also arrived in 1999 in a, in a kind of miniature boom of teen movies, along mm. with stuff like we mentioned, Virgin Suicides there. But there were other films, um, including Cruel Intentions as well, around the same time, that saw a, kind of an emergence of an interest in cinema or so cinema that was interested in teenagers, um, arguably for the first time since really the, the mid and early 80s, but not in a patronizing or condescending way. So arguably even going back to the 70s, which is quite a, it's often forgotten and overlooked in discussions of 1999, I would contend. Yeah, and I mean, teenage women, like Reese Witherspoon, she only, she was kind of back and forth as to whether she'd be in Cruel Intentions. She, she was she also in election that year as well, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they, they rewrote a lot of it for her. In fact, I think she, you know, developed parts of the script for that character. Yeah, it was an interesting year. And Luke? Yeah, I had to think about this for a while. Uh, Darren, I don't have your research skills because <laughs> I had picked Out of Sight and then I looked it up and that didn't come out in 1999. <laughs> you realize uh, my research skills are literally a phone in my pocket, right? Well, I'm much slower using my phone, obviously, with you, than, than you are. Then I then I had Perfect Blue, which also didn't come out in 1999. <laughs> Why are we doing 1999? <laughs> <laughs> Luke, what I, I did get a good one though, um, which is. Uh, I mean, you could argue it's probably released in some markets in 1999. Yeah, isn't want. that what we did all summer long? Yeah, <laughs> we did American History X. Technically, 1999. Yeah, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yes, we're going to do the stupid Ocean Penis movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Huh, what? With the what? <laughs> Have you not heard about this? This the is the legend of 1900. Oh, uh, oh. No. Yeah, Tim Roth on a boat. It's, I said pianist. What did you think I said? Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. I heard we, we know which is. I thought you meant Moby Dick. I like Jaws left a lip. But I did get there in the end. So uh, my pick for this is After the Rain, um, which is a film made by Takashi Koizuma, um, who would have been Akira Kurosawa's uh, long-standing uh, DP. And this would have come out the year after Kurosawa died. Uh, Kurosawa himself wrote the script. And it's a really kind of touching footnote, I think, to and, and tribute as well at the same time to, to, to Kurosawa. Um, it's about a samurai who's kind of traveling the country with his wife. He, he doesn't have any kind of master or anything like that. Uh, the samurai is so good at his job that he kind of infuriates everyone around him and always gets into these, these arguments and kind Would of gets kicked out. you say cut above other samurai? Uh, no cuts, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's... It's just kind of this story about this, this samurai who has a very different temperament to how people usually think of, of that kind of, uh, or would have thought of that kind of uh, job and that kind of archetype. Um, he's kind of brought up to the, the land of the, the local lord who wants to offer him a job. Uh, the lord is played by Mifune's son, his, his oldest son. Oh, wow. Um, and it's a very kind of, you know, you're looking in a mirror kind of, he's not Mifune, but it's, it's kind of similar no, enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we have our Kurosawa expert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's Chris. Yeah. Uh, expert with some heavy air quotes. <laughs> but it, like, it works really well as a tribute. Like even the, the kind of opening of the film is just this extended kind of series of, of shots of, the Japanese landscape in in a in a, in a very heavy rainstorm and like Kurosawa would have been so good at kind of directing environments and things like that, 
and then this story that it tells of this kind of gentle and con kind of considerate guy that if if you piss him off, we'll get into a really awesome uh, samurai uh, sword fight. Or, like you know. Darren. <laughs> it's well, actually, I haven't seen the movie, but is he a bit like Darren? There are some similarities, <laughs> but it's it's just a really interesting story. It's kind of told in a way that you don't usually see in in, in films of this type, and it's kind of um, it's a it's a very kind of reflective uh, uh, in, in the way it's done because it would have been Kurosawa writing at the at the end of his career and so, then a collaborate it, it's actually a few collaborators of his are, are, are working on it um, so it's almost a legacy project yeah like the 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 lead the, the samurai is played by Akira um, um, oh, his last name escapes me but from Ran and from Dreams um, oh, okay. the, the lead from those films um, and it's it's a really touching kind of film and and yeah i i really enjoy it and um it's kind of it's just under 90 minutes and very kind of <laughs> and so therefore better than uh, the farewell but it it, 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 it works very well in that kind of uh like gentle kind of closing note on like a, a genius's career i i really enjoy it a lot nice we're seeking it out so. perfect and phil yeah, um, this was a tough one. Uh, there was a lot of great films that year. Who knew? Uh, my first choice almost was... as if there was a reason we chose to discuss it. Mm, indeed, uh, my first choice was going to be. We the... wanted to play a song about nineteen sixty nine at the start. Yeah, I, I listened to a few episodes. That still doesn't make any sense. No, not <laughs> Anyway, back to the question. <laughs> Hi, Darren. I'm the one asking the questions here. Fair enough. Um, train of thought um, so yeah I had a lot of potential choices here I was going to go with the talent of Mr Ripley but I know someone else mentioned that already you can mention no 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 I want to use the opportunity to pick something else there are lots, a lot of films to talk about you want to be unique I try um, there's a, a lot of good stuff I was going through like just films that came out that year I could have gone for Titus I could have gone for Topsy Turvy The Limey uh, any number of things but I'm going to pro I'm going to go for something that isn't necessarily going to be popular and probably people will have remembered seeing once and flipped their mind, flitted from their mind since. But I'm actually going to go for the 1999 remake of The Thomas Crown Affair. God damn it! We <laughs> 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 chose the wrong seats. We did. Here we go. I apologise in advance. Again, twice in a row. It's great that we put you two together. It really is. The movie that gets... The movie that gets the most votes wins some kind of award. <laughs> so this you, is uh, not the IMDb. The, no, do, do, do we have a name for the the awards? A bollocks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we can win a bollocks if it gets yeah. two yeah. or more bollocks. Yeah. Great. Great. Thanks. Anyway, sorry. So you were mentioning the Thomas Crown Affair. Yeah. That's um, a crowning achievement for many of the people involved. Jesus. <laughs> Moving on. That's the last one you're getting. Yeah, that's <laughs> I really hope you can't see me staring you down. There are still nine more people to go. <laughs> I hope so you keep not me, like, leave awkward pauses after <laughs> every joke. <laughs> At least. Um, but yeah, um, so remakes by. <laughs> and that's the last. That's the last. That's the last. Anyway, sorry. Is this film a comedy? Or? <laughs> Wouldn't you think? No, um, I went for this because I bloody hate remakes. 
and they're lazy, they're cash-ins, they're shut up. Um, <laughs> but I went for this because it's one of the few remakes that improves on a fairly imperfect, but still perfectly watchable original. It's much better. Than it is, I agree. and it works because it treats not just its audience with smarts, but its characters as well. Who knew that people over 40 could still be sexy and smart and charismatic? And Rene Russo. Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo, for in both cases, their best performances in my book. Not as in Clowns and Taffin. The best Bond. He is the best Bond. You're absolutely right, Jay. And and in this film, they're both playing to their strengths. They're both very suave, but very smart. And uh, their romance is... uh, it's remarkable to watch it's them dynamite together. It's absolutely dynamite. Like, I, I, yeah. I agree. I completely uh, agree. It's, you know, you talk about actors who have chemistry together. This is a go-to example for They me. should be married. It's or <laughs> They have an affair. They're, they're, they, they pop in real way. Yeah. Make a petition. <laughs> Get it done. One Rene Russo. You say like I haven't done it. Like. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, And it's a great linchpin on which to hang a... Actually, what are two of my favourite heist sequences yes. in movies? The opening the and the closing of the film. Yeah. The, the closing, uh, which is soundtracked by one of my favourite songs ever, Cinnamon by Nina Simone. Mm. And it's the dialogue sparkles. Uh, there's a great supporting cast. Um, ben Gazar has the weirdest cameo ever. And I love it. I could, wa- I could watch it again right now and just be entertained. Uh, relentlessly uh, it's not it's not an arty choice but it's a very fun one and a far smarter and more uh, a more enjoyable choice than I think people would give it credit for we already listed the spy who shagged me twice I don't think you have to worry about that uh, thank you thank whoever, whoever that was I, I thank you You're and, right. and You're Richard no I'm sorry I'm so sorry again like the last time I had a backup luckily because <laughs> apparently I needed them both times but uh, yeah, everything that you just said is correct. That is the right choice. Um, as someone that was but a wee lad in 99, I didn't see a lot of films then, and I haven't caught up on them since, apart from the ones that we went in the last round. So this is a very tough one to think of. I thought I was being very good thinking of this film, but alas. Anyway, so instead of a film starring Pierce Brosnan and Rene Rousseau, I'd instead pick a film starring Pierce Brosnan and Sophie Marceau. The world is not enough. It's not good, but it's It's a very strong opening statement. It's a risky gamble. We appreciate it. But I, I look back on it fondly. Um, <laughs> Is it an after choice? Oh! Yes, please. Thank you. What do we actually have to say to make you stop? Is there a way? Is there a way to stop? No. Um, I think it has one of the more interesting villains of the franchise. Uh, Sophie Marceau's character is... A woman. A woman. Yeah. Um, the Bond girl is also a Bond villain, which is a clever structure. Uh-huh. Mm. Until you and get then to also the... Denise Richards. Yeah, until uh, you get to the second yeah. Bond girl. Who's the there, so you're one of her best like. films, mm-hmm. one of her worst mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. One of or well, the worst? Yes, performance thank you. Yeah. Um, I defend Denise Richards in that, in that she does what she's mostly there to do, which is... Look like Lara Croft, yes. Yeah. Christmas um, Jones. And also to have the name Christmas Jones for a cheap, ja- for a cheap oh. gag at the end, which is terrible. The best gag in that film, though, is is 
when Sophie Marceau actually acting says to him, you couldn't kill me, you'd miss me, to which he shoots her and says, I never miss. Well, his boss <laughs> looks on while he makes out with the corpse. It's a, it's a wonderful scene. Um. <laughs> Actually, that's, I love Pierce Brosnan's Bond because he's yeah. the man who puns before he murders. So see, I had kind of... It's the bit where he's got like the OAP at the end of Tomorrow Never Dies who's like Jonathan Price, who is no mm-hmm. match for Pierce Brosnan. And he's like, you forgot <laughs> the first rule right. of mass media journalism. Give the people what they want as he feeds an OAP into a shredder. A giant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you see, I had actually gone off Brosnan's bond until I read that tweet from you. I was like, that's actually a really good point. And then I'm like, you know what? Okay. That's what makes Brosnan's bond such a good bond in that he has that... He's character- the worst person. Yeah. He, is, <laughs> he has a charisma. He has a charisma. He's a bastard. He's an absolute yeah. bastard. And Bond has best to be that. Best Bond's ever um, Which is why <laughs> I heard that uh, Bond is marrying his Bond girl from Spectre in the next one. Which makes me think sure. all like this. Old... Oh, she'll be dead in 10 minutes. Can't wait. Put her in the shredder. One liner, preferably. Oh, we're splitting up. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, I'll write a movie. Yeah. Hey, if you want to bring oh, move over, I'm taking over this. Yeah. What's she know? So yes, the real answer is Thomas Crown Affair, uh, but the answer is Rose Lockman. For reasons. You should be. And Niall, what would be your choice? Um, I'm going to go over one I only I rewatched recently on Netflix and was really surprised how much I still like it, is The Mummy. Oh, yes. Brendan Fraser's The Mummy, yeah, aka the best Indiana Jones film since Last Crusade. Oh. Yeah. Generally. Or the best Indiana Jones film. Uh, <laughs> this is my minute. This is my minute. <laughs> you act as if there's an ordering principle here. <laughs> I like to think. Um, yeah, genuinely charming. It's incredible to think Brendan Fraser. He's been the butt of a lot of jokes since, mainly because his career's been all over the place, not due to matters out of his own hands, as it turns out, yeah. but. Genuinely charming, incredibly funny. Rachel Weiss is great. Omid Dajili, one of my favorite comedians, was in it. I didn't even know when I was younger. But all in all, brilliant romp. Great throwback. I've never watched the sequels. I've heard they're not worth it, but no. No, who knows? Not. Am I remembering correctly? Has Grace written an article on the mummy? Yes, she has. Uh, I you can find it on my Twitter. <laughs> you could say it into the mic as well. <laughs> I highly doubt you've heard anything I've said. Tonight, so. I, 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 I link it in the show notes. Grace has an article on Twitter about the mummy. Um, okay, for listeners, we have a point that Grace has actually written an article about the mummy that will be I'll available in the show notes. It's a very it's good a article. article. Does it recommend. cover the sequels at all, or is it the original? No, just the first one. Oh, okay. Good. The focus. They might need about. a reevaluation. Second was not bad. Jet Li's in the third boat. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah, I love it. my jet. Isn't The Rock Viagra for a sequel? Yes. Oh, the Scorpion King. It's franchise too. Viagra. Franchise Viagra. Yeah. That's what he said. That's right? what, I don't think he said that. It would be kind of a bit uncomfortable if he said Did that. Really? It's like the kind of thing that The Rock is cooking. <laughs> the, the, uh, Little blue pills out in the desert in his RV, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope Brendan Fraser didn't say it. That's weirder. <laughs> he didn't say it. Somewhat more awkward if your co-star says it about you. Your Viagra man. Vin Diesel. <laughs> Vin Diesel. Um, this has got nothing to do with anything, but uh, <laughs> no, I think what? With is this a mummy film? Is that good? Throw no. that to the group. I haven't actually seen with honors. Brendan Fraser. What film? Um, with, with honors. With no, honors. I haven't seen. It. No. Has nobody seen this movie? No. Is that the boarding school one? 
it's the one, no, that's Newton's it. It's the one where Brendan Fraser has written his uh, his doctoral thesis for, I think, um, it's Harvard. And he loses it and finds that Joe Pesci... Oh, yeah. I saw this on a plane <laughs> once. Yeah. <laughs> I just came back from it. I assume like, Joe Pesci finds it and he blackmails them all into, like, helping him exactly. to, like, yeah, yeah, I have seen What's this. Happening? It's, 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 it's bad. No, it's, it's bad. Is it bad? Yeah, it's bad. Oh, okay. Yeah. Never mind. Sorry. And this is, is why Andrew's on the podcast. <laughs> is Thanks, Andrew, for that. Thanks. Is that, that's not George of the Jungle, is it? <laughs> Don't think you're right. Are you telling me that retiring Terry yes. Joe Pesci isn't good? I remember in primary school, you're asked, like, Bring me the head of Tony Melbourne. That's the the, the 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 winner of the best picture Oscar, directed by um, uh, Richard Attenborough, um, starts with G. And the person <laughs> next to me was like, "I know it. I know what it is." And I said, "I know what it is too, but you know what it is, so I'm going to let you answer." <laughs> I said, "George of the Jungle." <laughs> I want to live in that world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ben Kingsley George, asked, George, George of the Jungle. Is due a yeah. 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 It's, it's ben Kingsley up. was incredible. Gets to yeah. his brother <laughs> for handling the gorillas. <laughs> and Chris. Sorry, just, I just want an um, honourable mention to Dudley Do Right, another mm. overlooked yeah. gem of Brendan Fraser's that year. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did he ever make a good movie? The Mummy was class, and then I saw that come out and was like, oh God, he's peaked already. I made a list of all the movies I watched from 1999, and I watched a lot of guff. Like, Galaxy Quest would have been my go-to. You can pick I know, I know, but no, okay, yeah. 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 I can't, I can't, I can't improve, I can't improve what's already yeah. been said. Toy Story 2, amazing. Um, but I'm going to go, I know, against the ethos of the podcast, because we're trying to name a film that should be in the 250, but I'm going to go for a middle-of-the-road thriller. We literally just had Richard <laughs> say yeah. his choice was not a good movie. I think um, you're okay. Oh, he's had this place. Oh! And it's like, Arlington Road. Oh! oh. Uh, Jeff Bridges, Tom, Tim Robbins. And well, the fantastic great endings final twist. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's like, it's, like, it's like amazing ending, blew my mind, it's great. The ending is, is amazing, yeah. I was, um, I was kind of living in the, when there was a VHS rental place down the road from my house at the time, and came across it randomly, and saw just the two leads, like, Grant, I'm sold, let's give it a go. And uh, just stuck in the memory since, one of my favourite films from that year. No, it's, it's amazing and there was a while when it was on channel 4 at like half past 11 three nights a week and that was a golden era oh yeah yeah if you're channel hopping you come across that gold yes you're stuck like, um, I'm only sorry Jay. I'm only sorry that Mark Pellington didn't have more of a career after that mm. he's made some stuff but it's not good yeah I, I can't I'll say if uh, I can comment <laughs> with it but uh, what do you got <laughs> okay here okay, we go alright give us the goods alright there, there, there's plenty to choose from uh, mm. in the year. There's no argument about that. Um, shockingly and kind Spy of uh, politically. Uh, no, it's not, Darren. Shut no. the f- <laughs> up. Um, it, it's in some ways uh, this day. Um, Bring in the dead. Oh, oh yes. Is that so? Um, yes. <laughs> um, Listen, I'm a Scorsese stand. There's no, there's no uh, denying that. And uh, the whole conversation around Scorsese, I'm not touching. But this is, is a Scorsese and Paul Schrader joint. 
and Schrader is doing his thing which if anybody has followed this Schrader thing uh, it's his kind of um, let the record show Phil has raised his hand he has um, <laughs> that this kind of uh, lawless selfless hopeless human being will trawl through a world of decay are we still talking about me? <laughs> uh, that's just as UCD like, that's, that's, that's all right. but uh, yeah and uh, Nicolas Cage who and I'm going to say it and I don't care when Mandy is Doug oh yeah and his performance of Mandy is Doug oh yeah I'm sorry yep. I'm sorry I don't yep. that coming out his performance agreed. his wow. performance in bringing it fully agreed is <laughs> brilliant sorry Alex no I'm I agree sorry. I agree oh, oh well, then, do you I'll, I'll hug you later he, fully, uh, he not only agrees but fully, fully agrees how does this turn into like a congressional hearing where occasionally like, <laughs> <laughs> forward to confirm yeah. or deny the committee like, has found that Nicolas Cage was Doug oh yeah Mandy <laughs> I am Joseph uh, McCarthy here but anyway uh, I always suspected Cage in Bring Us Dead is one of the really finest humanistic performances I've seen in a long, long time. Like he, he does something really interesting, and Scorsese obviously directing it really interesting way is that, he, looking at his own kind of life and dreadful loss, and the partnerships and the structure is very much on a novel. It's a I can't remember the writer's name. But it's based on a novel that Schrader adapted and probably ditched a lot of, of uh, three kind of cab drivers that drive with him in an ambulance. Uh, it's Bing Rames, John Goodman and um, Tom Sizemore. Remarkably weird different actors and remarkable different injuries yeah. in, 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 the, in, the, in the performances, as you would expect. And it's, it's really strange. And Scorsese can do the, the visual kind of strangeness Heightened, stylized oh, approach, yeah. As like that's that's just kind of you know he can do that, but the performances give it such a jolt, and the again to go back to the idea of that Scorsese got the women characters which seems to have existed since day oh, yeah. one, but it, it also never. Uh, Rosario, uh, sorry, she's fantastic in this. Uh, it's a daughter of a person that's in hospital, and he revisits and revisits. Uh, Cage it's, it's a remarkably strange film and very much of a kind of spiritual sequel to uh, yeah, Taxi Driver um, but I think it's a little more now it's a, it's a mature kind of strange uh, reflection on what you did before which Scorsese will do again in terms of um, The Irishman this is something like what, what have you done before what do you learn what do you see now uh, in terms of the world, I, I I think it's a kind of extraordinary film. Um, is it great? I, I don't know. Uh, I I really <laughs> I I like I I I know its reputation. I think there's an X amount of people that love it. Yeah. I I don't I don't think it's particularly on the high end of his career. I think but his rep has improved over the years. I think I it has. It. Yeah. Like a lot of so. And rightly so. But it's fascinating to me, and I I kind of love it. Yeah. I, uh, I kind of want to rewatch it right now since you've talked about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I absolutely adore it. We should mention we're planning to do a Scorsese season next year. <gasps> it will be score for Scorsese because it's 2020. Oh. Uh, uh, uh. I'm not doing it because of that. 2020. Because of that one, I'm not doing it. 2020 since 1990? <laughs> no. 20 years. Score, score, Scorsese. Is it too late to change? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> I'll fix it in post. Um, I was very insistent on this. <laughs> Andrew, you look like a kind of a 
an editor that can't get a story out of it. It's why like loose and everything. Yeah. Why would you give me the story, Spider Man? Yeah, I would say I want pictures of Spider Man. Is yeah. kind of what Andrew said. The message Andrew's sending down the table. Um, it's excellent, Andrew. It's an ace look. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and just so Fis- uh, audio medium. <laughs> <laughs> but now we can imagine J.K. Simmons as. <laughs> but uh, Ronan, what would be your choice? So I spent ages agonizing over this, thinking, what is the correct film to represent this whole thing? But ultimately, it's a question of what do I want to be in the 250 that people are going to come across and go and watch after this to kind of go and explore. And I got to say, for me, it's But I'm a Cheerleader, the Jamie Babbitt film. Yes. Which I saw, I think, for the first time this year uh, on Jay's Urging. It is fantastic fun in like a, a climate where we're seeing conversion therapy films that are largely dramatically based this year and in the last year, kind of for the first time. This is one that was so far ahead of the curve. It, it got in there and it's, it's just so, so utterly hilarious about all these things that it dispels, it dispels matters immediately. It's like, you know, this, this isn't even a question that, you know, um, the idea that we would need to bring people into camps and convert them is so ridiculous that it creates an absolutely hilarious film out of it. A pink film. It's Yeah, yeah, it, it is absolutely. It's riotously funny from start to end. And the idea that we have all these dramatic films since in the last couple of years, we, we actually don't need them. The, this film laid the groundwork years ago. Just go back and watch this again. I think we're all sold then. I just looked up the cast list today. I kind of want to watch it now because it's of that. It's phenomenal. Film is brilliant. It's, it's like Kathy Moriarty. Why is Net- this not at it's the Kathy top Moriarty, of the queue? Kathy Moriarty, Michelle Williams, and RuPaul. <laughs> and RuPaul. Wow. 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 RuPaul is amazing, and as is everyone. Natasha Lyonne. It was incredible. I mean, at, at the late stage oh, yeah, of the nineties, you couldn't discuss yeah. these Nobody's things in the nineties, but they did. So, they got well out there. In so, front. what's this film called? Just for you, is it? But I'm a cheerleader. Oh, it's right. it's a, a conversion therapy camp, but it is so it's it's camp itself. It is so over the funny. top and ridiculous and strange and weird. It makes nonsense of the idea, but and at a time when it was not fair game to make yeah. nonsense yeah. of these things, this is exactly you know, like, now it. it would be fair game for comedy. At the time, it was quite bold to yeah. do that, and, and sank with our face. It's absolutely remarkable. Watch it, watch it, watch it. Um, My pick is Drop Dead Gorgeous as well, which is a wonderful film, one of my favourites. Yeah, no, Drop Dead Gorgeous is wonderful. It's very ahead of its time. It has an amazing cast. It's Amy Adams' first film, if you can believe that, and she's perfect from the beginning. Um, It's also, if anyone's had the misfortune to grow up in a very small, horrible town, it will just hit you right where you need to be hit. So, yeah, that would be my pick. I haven't seen this. Uh, I need to see this. It is. No? No, I'm thinking of a different film. Never mind. Go on. I I throw my hat in again with those as well and recommend it's very worth watching. Um, And Babu, what would be your pick? I didn't really do much research, to be honest with you. Um, (laughs) And I just picked a film that I thought most people would have watched and I thoroughly enjoyed. And I'm going to try and talk louder because you're gesturing to me again. Uh, So I, I chose Notting Hill. Partly because um, I really enjoyed it. It was a fun film. And uh, a lot of the films that people have mentioned tonight, I've never heard of and probably won't watch. But this... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah. Cold, oh, 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you say But uh, this one was. Remember, was the man who finished off La La Land, the infamous massacre. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think I really enjoyed, and um, yeah, and I think it's actually the highest-grossing British comedy ever. At 374 million, something like that. I don't know if it's still holds. I thought you hadn't done any research. Yeah. That's very specific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know. Or yesterday. Uh, Another Richard. Let's Curtis. not get into that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying it's good, but did it quite smoke? No, I didn't. Did it not? Yeah, didn't. Was it meant to be a comedy? Yeah, so I'd say that one, and I think it was a time when. You know, oh. he was probably one of the few bankable British stars at the time. Now we've got a whole batch of them, partly through the Marvel Universe kind of films. Mm. Well, none of them can so. open movies on their own. Yeah, he can. Um, well, he could. And he did. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a Hugh Grant movie today is a slightly different proposition. Yeah, but he's... Not more Cloud Atlas, so Paddington's yeah. about two. Uh, Fair point. But he's chosen... Several people's yeah. books. <laughs> but he chose to do that, though. Yeah. He chose to wind down his yeah. career. So, uh, yeah, that would be my choice. And Giovanna, what would be your choice from Night uh, It would be a very different film. It would be an Iranian film by Abbas Rostami. And uh, the title is uh, The Wind Will Carry Us. Um, it's a film that uh, um, it was uh, famous uh, in a f- film festival circuits and it was also uh, shown at a um, um, uh, film festival in Venice. And uh, the film is uh, about um, a small uh, uh, film crew uh, who from Tehran travels to a small village in the mine- mountains in uh, Kurdistan to uh, film uh, some funerary rituals because uh, there is an elderly lady that is well respected in the village and uh, is about to die. But uh, when they arrive there, uh, they see that uh, the uh, lady um, had no intention of dying. And so uh, uh, since <laughs> <laughs> they were stuck in the village for um, they were stuck in the village for weeks and uh, they were getting frustrated because they were city people and uh, they were uh, used to um, having a, a mobile reception, for example, and instead every time they were receiving a phone call, they had to uh, take the jeep and uh, run to the top of a hill just to try uh, make a phone call, and they couldn't adapt to the life of the villagers. No, so it's uh, not just about a comedy about um, a, a cultural clash and clash between uh, a city versus um, um, rural life, but it's also a very lyrical film. A very very uh, poetic film uh, about uh, uh, the unexpected beauty of everyday life and the beauty of nature and uh, uh, even if it's uh, shot in a very observational style like a fly on the wall style every uh, shot is uh, composed as a painting so it's uh, really really beautiful to watch and uh, poetry plays um, a big role in the film in fact uh, The Wind Will Carry Us uh, is a verse from a poem of, of, by Farouk uh, who is a uh, um, renowned uh, poet from um, um, Iran and um, she's also a filmmaker and she was uh, quite controversial because of the sensuality of uh, her verses and um, in fact um, 
Kiarostami uses this uh, uh, poetry to uh, kind of defy the uh, severe um, 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 censorship laws in Iran. In fact, uh, according to these laws, um, uh, in films, women always need to have uh, their head covered. They cannot look straight into the camera because they cannot encounter the male gaze of the spectator. They cannot touch men. They cannot talk to men. And uh, there is a scene in which uh, the protagonist that is uh, the director of um, this uh, documentary that they cannot make, who is uh, talking to a, a girl who is uh, milking a cow in a dark stable, and uh, he starts uh, reciting a poem, and uh, the censors wanted to cut that scene because they felt that uh, it was of a sexual nature, but uh, it, didn't broke any, <laughs> it didn't break any rule, so they couldn't cut it. No? So it's a film that is uh, beautiful and very poetic, but also playful and funny, and it's uh, uh, made in a very simple way, but uh, very poignant, so I think it should be on the list. How sexy is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sexy as a build poem can be. <laughs> it's a documentary, Andrew. <laughs> no, they didn't make the documentary. Uh, and Joe, what would be your choice? Um, yeah, actually, I got a bit nervous when people kept saying, mine is a comedy, because mine is a comedy. And I was like, no. So <laughs> stop picking the that film. That a lot, pick. actually, because, because there aren't enough comedies on the 250. And now that we've gotten rid of Groundhog Day. Yeah, there's even less. So my choice. It is. It's a terrible list. It's a terrible podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody is listening at this point. I'm surprised that people are still here, like recording it. Even even if we asked beforehand, would they come along and record with us? Has the list changed since we started? (laughs) (laughs) Fair question. I kind of always assumed that this would end kind of like Fight Club with you two like blowing up the list and like watching it and (laughs) folding hands together. I'd imagine that's where. Which one of us is Tyler Durden, or do I need to ask? I just want to say, when when Darren was praising Pierce Brosnan's Bond for making puns and then killing people, (laughs) I started to get very concerned. (laughs) (laughs) What are your intentions when we finish here? He's living the dream. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Joe, I didn't mean to cut across you. I apologize. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to say it now. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Withholding for the listeners. That's a wrap. Toying puns at your imaginary friend. You're 400,000 likes of glycerin, Darren. Uh, yeah, the, the film I'm picking is Office Space. Hey! Did you put your list together with your steeper? <laughs> Actually, fun fact about the stapler. So the red line, stape, red stapler is a big part of this film, which mm. takes place in an office. And it didn't exist in real life. And they had to manufacture it after the movie came out because people kept like calling stationery shops asking if they had a red line red stapler uh, so i don't know if you guys have seen it um yes. it's, yeah. yeah can i like, get a red line red stapler you can now if you, if you could get a red line stapler that would be great um so yeah i just yeah. think it's hilarious and it's funnier every time you watch it and the longer you work in a normal job the more the little observations uh, seem true uh, mike judge it has kind of become this like poet laureate of sh- oh, yeah. jobs and um, because he did this and then he did silicon valley silicon um, valley is incredible yeah, mm-hmm. i love I silicon mean, valley idiocracy is, all that idiocracy is excellent as well um 
and extract, which is also about a bad workplace. Was he king um, of the hill as well? Or? Yeah. He was, yeah, so probably. Yeah. Less workplace comedy then. Yeah. No, uh, although it's still workplace. Propane's a business. And propane accessories. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I just think it's one of the very few films that's funnier every time you watch it. Um, every performance is pitch perfect, uh, it's hilarious. Um, kind of fun to see Jennifer Aniston in it because she made it like. At the zenith of her team, well, she, and she rocks out as well. She yeah, she's great in it. She was the only getting it made. Yeah, she she had the minimum pieces of flair that she brought to it, and it's so quotable, and it's become a meme now. Like the Gary Cole manager character who says, "If you could do that, that would be also, great." Also, it's early accurate. Like, like yeah. we we joke about it, like the Gary Cole, the, the, the Gary Cole kind of character. Where it's in every f- oh, nothing. Yeah. It's like, it's every, <laughs> the Gary Cole characters never see it because they don't yeah. ever watch the Gary Cole films. And if they did, like, they wouldn't. And they wouldn't recognize it. themselves yeah. in it. Like, it to, but uh, they exist. We all work with them. Like, like uh, except me, it. if my colleagues are listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Joe is a, works in a healthy environment. Uh, Joe's office should guess which one of them is the Gary Cole <laughs> character. <laughs> if any of my colleagues are listening, you are. <laughs> You and yes, they're all. Oh, yeah. That's my job. <laughs> all right. Well, Darren has told me privately that everyone in his office is terrible. <laughs> but he asked me not to mention it. Um, all right. So I think that, that, that about wraps I, I get it. <laughs> That about wraps it up, I think. Unless anybody has anything else they want to discuss. In the I'd like to spend 20 minutes more talking about Joe's uh, anti-capitalist <laughs> vibe. Uh, I, let's put a half an hour onto this and wreck the shop. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take uh, the podcast equipment outside and smash the face We've spoken a lot about this, about how the 80s created a lot of anti-capitalist movies and that we don't have enough of those movies these days. Yeah. And yeah, we could go on a whole time. We don't have Reagan era sort of science fiction anymore. Really. Exactly. We yeah. Because we're, yeah. So Jay, yeah. Jay, get us started. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But uh, anyway, so unless, it's anything else anybody wants to discuss? Anything anybody wants to throw out? Any? Yeah, Grad, we're not going to uproot the system yet. <laughs> I'm gone. Uh, I, guess, I, I guess I'm finished then. Yeah, right. sure. Well, just. I think, well, I, I think we should end it. Yeah. But before I do, no, no, no. Thanks, sir. Thanks, What I was going to say is, first of all, thank you very much to all of our listeners for listening. Yeah, thank we you. keep forgetting. Like the last two years, we've forgotten to thank everybody <laughs> for actually showing that was the up. The whole point. Yeah. Um, um, thank hence you, everybody. The pub. Yeah. Um, this would be rubbish without all of you guys. So yeah. thank you. No, really. Thank you very much, guys. Um, and also thank you to Cleary's for hosting us as well. Apparently the best Guinness. I don't in mean Dublin. that, Darren. By the way, it it is, no, it's it not. It's not it's absolutely, it's, absolutely it's the best Dublin. Guinness in Dublin. There's no apparent. There's no uh, it's it's four sixty for Guinness <laughs> What? Also, yeah. it's the best Guinness in Dublin. Here. It is um, the best Guinness in Dublin. <laughs> and in case this lands us on the wrong side of alcoholic advertisement regulations, I'm here and I don't drink, so this is not an alcoholic advertisement. <laughs> and Darren still thinks it's, it's the, the best, best Lucasade in Dublin. But before we head, just where anybody can find you online if you're doing anything that you want to draw attention to so we'll do a quick round the table very quick round the table <laughs> snap 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 <laughs> Um, I'm doing heaps of stuff. I've got a, a film podcast of my own called Cultural Capital, which you can find at the Cult Cap Pod on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, I'm also got my Twin Peaks podcast. I did my first episode last week, um, which is called the Twin Peaks Season Three, uh, the Twin Peaks Season Three podcast. Um, yes, I've been doing a lot of analysis of Twin Peaks with all the rumors about it maybe coming back. So there's plenty of stuff to talk about there. I'm, I'm on Twitter at Andy Ricky, and I should say Happy Birthday! Congratulations on three years of podcasting. That's a pretty monumental achievement. A lot of people don't make it that far. 
Uh, you can find me at my website, ajblackwriter.com, and on Twitter, at ajblackwriter. It's all very all one brand, so it's quite simple. It's very well managed, I have to say. And Carl, <laughs> where can we find uh, you? You can find me on Twitter, at CKJ Sweeney. You can also find my podcast on Twitter, at Movie Palace Pod, and you can find mine and Tony's podcast, at Motion Picks Pod. Glad, glad you mentioned that, Carl. <laughs> so, Alex? Sure. I run a podcast called When Irish Eyes Are Watching, which looks at Irish films and talks about them. And our latest episode should probably be Darby O'Gill and the Little People, which we just recorded. Ooh. Oh, fantastic. With Sean Connor. With Sean Connor. Um, A.K.A. not the best James Bond, apparently. <laughs> um, Bernice? Do I not get to plug it? <laughs> Do you want to? Shut the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you said it low. You said low, Carl. Check your testicles. Thank you for staring at me when you said that. The heavy eye contact really made it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, uh, it's <laughs> November. Um, it is actually, it is November. Yeah, yeah, men, uh, men's uh, health. Yeah, yeah. Um, the heavy eye contact. Don't mind them, Don't mind them. Um, but Bernice. Touch them. Sorry. Go uh, ahead, Bernice. Yeah, I'm Bernice Murphy. I'm a lecturer at Trinity College Dublin and I write about spooky places. So I've written books about spooky suburbs, spooky highways and spooky country people. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, you can always Google me if you're interested in that kind of thing. Perfect. Um, and Jess? That's you. So- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry I didn't use your surname. <laughs> Myself and Luke were in a podcast at Breakout Roll Pod and we discussed Hollywood icons and their kind of early stages, toddling roles. The breakout roles, yeah. Breakout roles. And Luke, do you want to go yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would also recommend that podcast. Uh, I think it's really, really good. Um, our next episode is actually going to be on Winona Ryder starring in Beetlejuice. And we'll race you to get that out. <laughs> if you put yours out, we'll put ours out right after. Just for, for synergy purposes. You can also find me on Twitter at Mr. Cynical. At Cynical with an I. I hope you are and at filmandobbins.ie. I think that's everything I have to plug. Is that everything? Yeah, yeah that's, that's all. And Phil! You're looking at me with such expectation. You sound like he's the last one as well. <laughs> In a way, off. he kind of is. Uh, I don't sorry. know what that means. Oh, uh, would you like to recommend something for people if you're not going to uh, share your... Well, no, no, it's... Uh, well, I, I, can, I can share of me, uh, whatever there is. Um, I'm a frequent contributor to the 250, as you know, because I'm sure you've listened to all the episodes prior to this. Um, but uh, even mi- I haven't listened to all the episodes prior to this. <laughs> there are episodes. Um, I don't know. I'm starting to think I should do that pa- Patreon thing and maybe see if people will pay me to watch movies. As long as they get to choose the movies. As long as they get to choose the movies. Oh yeah. What Twitch? Oh, that's where the kids. Will are. that work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Look, if Mike, if Mike D'Angelo oh, can get oh, Patreon for writing views, I could do this. Oh, okay, so, so listeners, listeners let us know if you would support a Patreon to make Phil watch, I don't know, Baby Geniuses. Uh, Stop it! Uh, Richard, where can we find you online? Uh, the Phil and Marlon podcast, or my currently on hi- hiatus James Bond podcast, Quantum of Friendship. Bring it back, Defend World is not enough. Tried it, didn't work. <laughs> oh. uh, it was an idea. Uh, Niall. All I do is talk crap on Twitter, so you can follow me at Niall the Glynn. Sorry, 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 guys. I'm trying to plug myself, please. (laughs) 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 Oh, no. (laughs) All right, so you can follow me at Niall the Glynn or swipe right on any dating site. Who knows? Um, even if you don't. I'll follow you on Twitter, but I'm not swipe right. (laughs) It didn't work out for me. 
It's awesome. Uh, yeah, let's um, move on. And Chris. <laughs> Nothing to plug, but I'm literally, this is true, I'm on 299 followers on Twitter, so if anyone follows me, I hit 300, so do it. Listeners, um, <laughs> make it happen. Chris Lodry 6. Immediately unfollow, just for <laughs> <laughs> I love that we're, we're trying to build an activist base, oh, but for this. <laughs> <laughs> worth this, it, worth it. But Jay. There's 299 uh, people <laughs> listening. So, if we're lucky. If we're lucky. Yeah, there might be uh, one person listening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> we, Jay wants to plug Andrew Shutting. Oh, yeah. It's rare we get to say that. And, and I kind of enjoy it. Darren inside is secretly going, thank you, Jay. Uh, no. Uh, There's a lot of projection happening. <laughs> I, I I host this kind of podcast that somebody has retired from that since since in the last while. He's old, he's tired. He, he would love to be back, he just doesn't have time. You're you have no time? <laughs> I, I'm joking. Uh, no. Okay, I, did a, I did this kind of podcast and I'm just moaning on Twitter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Catch me also on this kind of podcast. Uh, and complaining on Twitter sometimes at Baron Run. And and Grace. <laughs> Catch me also complaining on the Scotland podcast and occasionally uh, complaining on Twitter. Complaining on Twitter a lot actually at Pixie Grace. You complain a lot. I do. You're a great complainer. Yeah. yeah. One of the great complainers. Just and your your letterbox as well because you're doing um, Grace meets Marty, right? Yes, and I haven't written up my notes in the last movie that I watched last week, so congratulations to me. Good money. Um, yes, it was. <laughs> I'm obsessed with this. And Babu. Uh, nothing to plug here. <laughs> no, you have to plug. <laughs> Babu. Have the blog. I have the blog, but I don't want people following me. Babu for what? <laughs> tell us about the blog. Oh, uh, you can follow me. Oh, gosh. Uh, Babu's Dublin blog. Just Google it, you'll find it. Oh, we'll put it in the show notes to make it easy. Jesus, Babu. None of us are any good. Like, <laughs> get in there. Like, get, oh, yeah. Get in there. Tell yeah. yourself, like, we're all hacks. Like, <laughs> get in there. Like. Babu is a hot Jay? new screenwriter. Sorry, Darren. <laughs> Jay does not speak for everybody. I, I do. Say. I actually <laughs> do speak for everybody. Uh, get in there, Babu. Oh, yeah. Jay and Darren and Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Just get in there and sell yourself. Like. I'm not even a hack. No, um, sorry. You're in a report on these authority, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Giovanna, what, what would you like to plug? Uh, I'm not really plugged, but I research uh, the circulation of Indian film in Dublin, so if you Google Indian film in Dublin, my, my name will come up. And very worth... Uh, so yeah, well. You're, you're Ireland's leading academic in Indian film. Yes, because there is nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying we abandon every other kind of film in Ireland? Like... Amazing! What a country! No, there I is know. nobody else researching Indian yeah. film. So you are leaving. Leave <laughs> Don't <laughs> leave it at our leave it. Okay, and Joe. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, under are that. you? Yeah, <laughs> I'm joking, Joe. Sorry. Uh, the Joe Griffin, T H E, and then Joe Griffin, because my name is too common. So that's me. All right. All right, thank you very much for listening. Join us next week when we'll have Ethan and Jaron from Disconnected Talk. We'll be discussing Uwe Boll's smash hit, House of the Dead. What is wrong with you? <laughs> You're going from strength to strength. Yeah. <laughs> great movie after great movie. Wait, but actually, <laughs> listen to it. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> it is actually... Why are we here? Anyway. Take it easy, guys. It's, it's, and, and, and I, I, I don't want to. Don't press the button. Don't press the button. Don't press the button.
us unsubscribe. Stay with us, please. Uh, but take it easy. We love we'll, you. We'll we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.